0: TV movies fun. Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made for TV Mayhem Show.
1: and it's all three of us tonight so my name is Amanda Reyes yay And I'm here with Dan Budnick and Nathan Johnson, and we are the Made for TV Mayhem Show, and we're really excited. We've been super sporadic, um, mostly because of me, because I have uh, I had an insane schedule, and it's kind of dying down. And the first thing I thought of was, what can I do to fill up this mass amount of free time I have, which isn't that much time, but um, and I was like, oh, I would like to go back to podcasting. Uh, I really miss doing this, and this is something that I love. And um, we figured it's the Halloween season. Let's get back together and talk about two kind of slashery TV movies that came out in the 80s. Uh, both of which I think are kind of cult items. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about Deadly Lessons, which came out in 1983, and the really wild and fun um, Terror at London Bridge, which was also uh, known as Bridge Across Time when it originally aired. That was from 1985. And um, those, these are two really good, I think, get you in the spirit for Halloween kind of movies, especially if you like slashers. So uh, we're just going to get started. So let me go ahead and introduce my co-host. Hey, Dan, what's up?
0: Not much. I'm excited to uh, uh, talk about the movies. I'm uh i do love halloween i love our halloween shows and it's it's good to be back with a with a couple of fun ones like this which include the Hoff. so oh, i'm in
1: yeah you can't lose with the Hoff. actually the casts of both of these films are pretty, pretty obviously amazing yeah. yeah uh deadly lessons is one of those where it's like oh wow everybody mm-hmm. went on to become famous mm-hmm. or they were famous like donna reed um mm-hmm. a pretty miraculous uh uh cast um nate how are you
2: i'm doing well uh i'm glad to be back it's been a little while so this should be fun.
1: We missed you so much. And I have to ask you, every time I talk to you, I need to know what you're wearing. Are you wearing your bat PJs?
2: No, it's still too hot. So I'm just in my gym oh. shorts and my Mountain Dew t-shirt tonight. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. not
1: even horror themed.
2: I know. It's I mean, like a... I would wear the horror themed stuff if it was cold enough. It's just not cold enough yet. It's really hot.
1: Ugh. I know. Yeah. The weather's just finally starting to cool off here in Texas, which has been nice because I have to walk a mile from my car to where I work. Mm. and when you do that in 100 degrees and oh, 80 yeah. percent humidity yeah it's pretty you're pretty Oof, that's not pretty angry yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah by the time we get there <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not fun so anyway but i'm so glad you're here because i know you missed the last episode i'm not going to ask you about hotline because i know it's been a while since you've seen it but i you were a big fan of that and um and we were we've we love the movie, but we also felt like we missed having you there to talk about it. So we're so happy that you're here for these two movies. And I think we should just get started. I, there's not a lot of context to give to these films. They came out in the 80s. I think the 80s is a really interesting time in the TV movie because the 70s are very distinctive, especially the early 70s in terms of genre output. And then there was some stuff that happened throughout the 70s, but that kind of made-for-TV movie. The week thing sort of died out. And then um, the 80s came, and it was a lot of... Bridging into what the 90s would become, but also kind of looking back at the at the 70s as well. And so it's kind of this fascinating decade that had a lot of really good thrillers that I don't think it talked about enough. I mean, there's some classics, of course, like Don't Go to Sleep and Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, I think, are the two big ones. I think Deadly Lessons would be a bigger cult item if it had um, become more available over the years. But it really only ever had this TV airing and maybe reran. Like on uh, I would say, TBS, probably, or something, but it it hasn't had like a video release or like Tarret Lennon Bridge, which streams everywhere now and actually had a VHS release. Um, I think that one's become more of a cult item. so i'm I'm kind of excited to talk about this first film because it is kind of like a lost classic, I would say. and and we can talk about whether or not it's a classic. I, I have very mixed feelings about deadly lessons. Um, and we'll get to that.
0: Kiss the rich, pretty girls, make them sigh. Hunt them down and say goodbye. Someone's
3: teaching them deadly lessons.
0: All right, so this takes place, it, it's it's Starkwater. I was actually confused if it was Academy or Hall. I heard different things throughout, but it's the Starkwater School for Girls. Sort of like the Calvin Finishing School into All a Good Night, but a little less fun. Um, So this is the Starkwater uh, Academy or thingy. And Donna Reed is the the headmistress, as it were. It's summertime. You got a lot of gals who are there, a lot of obviously rich gals who are there for summer school and such. And uh, Stephanie shows up and Stephanie is played by the great... Diane Franklin. Sorry, everyone. I don't know why i liked like their name because I love her so much. Um, and Stephanie is the new girl. She has a scholarship. She's showing up there early in the summer to uh, uh, catch up on her French. And she meets a bunch of the gals. And there's like her, her roommate is a princess. And, and next door are two gals, I think it's like Callie and Marita, one of them's Ali Sheedy, and uh, as uh, Bill Paxton takes care of the horses at the stable, there's a lot of lot of characters in this movie. And they all kind of arrive and they're hanging out, there's a really mean girl, I believe named, named Kimber Kimber, who's just unpleasant to everyone.
3: Lauren, you see what I see? Something unpleasant is crawling across the driveway. Are you delivering something? Lauren, show this person to the servant's entrance. No, I'm Stephanie and I'm new. I just arrived. I'd stay out of Timber's way if I were you. She doesn't mix with grody people. And she's
0: found the next day murdered floating in the nearby lake. Good. Yeah, exactly.
2: No big loss.
0: Um, yeah, and Detective Kemper, who could be very familiar looking to anyone who loves the little chips and I won't go any further than that, we'll talk about that. Uh, Detective Kemper shows up to investigate the case and immediately kind of um, clashes with uh, Miss Wade, the Donna Reed character, because she's very much like the, uh, uh, you know, Starkwater is, I run Starkwater, I'm Starkwater, and it's such a big part of this small town that we don't want any negative publicity. I'll need access to the girls'
2: classmates, anyone
0: that came in contact with her, and a place to talk with them.
3: We'll do everything necessary to accommodate you, Mr. Kemper. But in return, I must insist that the newspapers be kept out of this. Well, perhaps you're not aware of it, Miss Wade, but the Constitution guarantees freedom of the press, and a murder in Hamilton Lakes is not an everyday event.
1: Nevertheless, I have already spoken to the owner of the local paper, and I would appreciate you're not encouraging any media coverage at all.
3: I'll be in my office if you require anything further.
0: Not, not quite a Jaws-ass kind of thing, but your standard sort of no publicity, and, and Detective Kemper wants to investigate the best he can, but it's implied, yeah, he's kind of a once big city cop, now in this smaller town, and the other cops are kind of telling him, you know, don't, don't investigate too much. You don't want to cause too much trouble. Unfortunately, another gal gets killed, and then another gal gets killed, and then everyone starts to act really weird. And all the girls get really scared, and red herrings or maybe not red herrings pop up here and there. And I'm, I'm gonna stop it around there because you can figure out where it goes. More and more girls get killed, and we eventually find out who done it and why. Deadly lessons.
1: Wow, very good. um so i didn't i don't remember watching this when it originally aired and i don't know why because it was made for me and uh, i think before we get started um this is a podcast so it's kind of difficult to go into the advertising for it but it had this really amazing tv guide ad that you guys may remember and um um it's like a got a girl it's got several girls and they're all kind of in various states of undress like one's in a robe and one's Dressed pretty well another one's in a tank top and she's looking out a window looking kind of uh scared or tense and the slogan for the film was kiss the girls and make them sigh hunt them down and watch them die nice and you're like oh yeah this was made for amanda (laughs) this is an amanda film yes but i didn't see it till many years later and i think it was because it ran on like turner classic or turner south do you remember turner south yes it had all like the great tv movies and it probably ran on tbs as well which is part of that whole uh, umbrella um, and then I finally saw it and I like it more and more with their reviewing, but I still feel like it's maybe not a great film. It's a, one of those movies that I think works because it's got a really interesting cast and and because I like that. Of all the TV movies that I've seen thus far, I think it's the closest to mimicking a slasher film. Like, we reviewed She's Dressed to Kill a while ago now, and that's more of a giallo. It has, like, slasher elements. And there are movies that come close, but they have, like, supernatural elements, like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow or Don't Go to Sleep. Um, Fantasies is has a lot of slasher elements in it, but it's also, like, about adults and, like, a soap opera And so it's kind of veering off that teen thing. So this one really captures that flavor and it's coming out right at the end of like the slasher craze. So it's kind of a fascinating film. And it's also fascinating that it took them this long, 1983 to figure out that they needed to do a film like this for television. Um, So I have some mixed feelings about it. Uh, I won't like poo poo the movie, but I think it loses steam at the end for me. Uh, But overall, I think the cast is really game and and there's a lot of elements as I get older that I appreciate, I kind of think Donna Reed's character is really interesting. And maybe I didn't recognize that when I first saw it. And I do think the melodramatic elements of the film, because they really handed this movie over to the adults at one point where it becomes about David Ackroyd and his affair with Donna Reed and, and this backstory that leads to the reveal of the killer that I find really interesting. And maybe uh, they could have focused on that more for me. But um, I'm just curious what you guys thought. I'm gonna start with Nate. Nate, had you seen this before?
2: a a very long time ago and so i really needed to revisit like you said i absolutely love the cast um and i do i could kind of see what you're saying about how it kind of loses some steam towards the end uh not to get too spoilery but there's kind of a kidnapping thing that happens close to the end that i thought could have just been left out i just thought it was unnecessary but in general i do really love the film although i have to say what is with these girls i have seen women women prisoners in prison movies be nicer (laughs) true these girls are mean. um Mm -hmm. and you know who doesn't die in this movie but deserves to is libby's dad because there's that whole scene where she says that libby's dad is the senator but libby has to be there because she's not presentable enough to be around him are you happy here libby
3: it's all right Understand your father's a senator in Washington. Would you like to live with him? Mr. Kemper, Libby is a compulsive overeater. Her father refuses to have her with him until she is presentable enough for his kind of lifestyle. I don't think that statement was necessary,
2: Miss Wade. And I'm like, a killer, where are you? <laughs> like, that's who you need to be going after. Um, so yeah, I felt really bad for Libby's character, you know, because obviously the girls aren't like super nice. Uh, I mean, they're not all mean, you know, obviously Diane Franklin's character is nice. Um, you know, she kind of does the, I guess, sort of Nancy Drewish kind of thing, you know, investigating the murders, which is always kind of fun. And, you know, you never kind of know who's going to, you know, drop dead next because it's, you know, one of those situations where, you know, it's like, it starts with, uh, Kimber?
1: Or timber or timber. Her name's name name actually timber. Yes, timber.
2: Yeah. I keep wanting to say timber, like timber, yeah. a, a tree Yeah, it, it's just like <laughs> okay. that, except
1: with an e. It's timber. Okay, timber. Okay,
2: so yeah, like you know, right after her death, you know, kicks off, you know, it just keeps uh, uh, it kind of kept me guessing as to who the killer was and uh, why exactly they were doing the killing. Um, I will say I didn't quite figure out who who it was until they were revealed mm. and you, I mean, it's probably not saying much because I'm not good at guessing killers in movies anyway. I'm really bad at it, but yeah, this is one that also fooled me, but overall, yeah, I, I loved it. Um, I got to say, you know, again, I would prefer um, maybe a little more from the finale, yeah. you know, when the final girl and the killer face off, it just seemed very anticlimactic. I'm like, I just, I felt like there should have been, Maybe more of a chase. Yeah. Maybe a chase through the school.
1: Like a prom night Wendy chase.
2: Yeah. I mean, th- hey, you gotta admit that would have livened up the finale. Yeah. That would have been some great peril. Yeah.
3: Well, hey. I
1: think what I think what makes the the finale so good is the reveal. Mm-hmm. Because I I kind of like the performance, and we'll talk about that when we get to reveal the killer. But um, but I agree with you; it could use a little more action.
2: Yeah, but I mean, I still love it, so you know, it still gets thumbs up from me.
1: Yay! Uh, before I go to Dan, I wanted to mention. I thought it was so funny. I didn't make a note of it except in my mind, but that you said the Calvin finishing scroll from To All a Good Night, and I <laughs> swore when I was watching this movie that it was the same exteriors. It's not, but I looked it up and I compared the two places, mm-hmm. and I, I was able to figure out where they shot this film. I wasn't able. I mean, somebody online found it for me, but um, but it's not the same address. But I, there were parts of it that it felt like To All a Good Night, particularly in the setting. Mm-hmm. of that house and so it was so funny that you said that because I don't know if you felt a to all a good night kind of vibe not so much in the movie but in the house but um but the way you called that was really great but anyway go ahead
0: oh uh I I yeah I had, I had not seen this before because I, I think the first time I really properly heard of it was when we started doing this podcast a long long time ago and I think you and maybe said we're gonna cover that one day so I, I didn't watch it Here we are so, hey, uh, dreams do come true. Uh, and I will say, I do agree with the ending. I, I feel like the ending could have had a little more pep to it. I I, I almost feel like the, the writer, like, put that bit in with the kidnapping, turned the script in, and someone said, that's not the end. And he was like, oh, crap. And he had to add, like, another bit of ending or something like that.
1: She had to add. She, oh, a, I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I,
1: Who wrote it? a woman named jennifer miller i'll tell you a little bit about her
0: oh i'm sorry Ah, uh, my apologies. that's okay my apologies but um i forgot what i was saying oh yeah so so overall you know I, I i do like the cast i like the setting it it has that one of the things that i think it shares with the to all Goodnight is that feeling of not quite knowing where everything is in mm-hmm. relation to everything else so it's like you see the building the, the main hall and then there's stables nearby, and there's a yeah. lake nearby, and it's like I never quite figure out wherever. And it's like, like, where's that runway near the Calvin Finishing School for Girls? You know, where, why is there a runway? That, you know, and it's still like I I never quite get a, a feel for the geography of the land, which in some ways is good because it leaves you a bit um, uh, discombobulated yeah. as you're watching, which Absolutely. can which can which can be fun. Yeah, I really like the cast. Um, uh, and, and Donna Reed's character, you know, is is clearly, um, you know, she's she's the not not an evil headmistress, but the I you know I want my school above all things. But that even she sort of breaks down in the end when she's um, her her guy there for Ferrer is kind of says he's going to leave her, and you can see yeah. the sort of the humanity in her. But overall, I think I feel like I need to watch the movie again. I watched it twice. I see what people say when they say it's like a slasher, but at the same time, it seems more like a murder mystery kind of thing to me. The way they kind of like, because to me, slashers are about, forgive me if this sounds like me being a perv or something, like stalking people and kill. And this doesn't really have that. This is like a, this is more like an episode of Poirot or something, where like, they wander and they go, there's a dead person here. And, and I understand that it's a, it's a network TV thing, so maybe they couldn't show extreme scenes of like people be like the Wendy scene in Prom Night. Maybe they couldn't do that. Right. I, I don't don't know, but um, but uh, but it it feels it. There are certain slashery. but I thought the opening credits felt very slashery.
1: Oh, definitely, me. yeah, and that even reminds me of to a good Night because doesn't it kind of fade yes. into something like mm-hmm. the more you we talk about that, the more I feel like they're kind of would make an interesting double, to but just, I yeah. wanted. I wanted to mention that you called it because they marketed the film as a murder mystery okay. uh, when they were promoting it. So, so you did catch on to
0: that. I, th- I think probably because really, I, I mean, like, um, like, like you said, there's something interesting about the fact that it took them so long to do a film that they sort of pushed as a slasher. I mean, cause yeah, this is 83 here. We've, we've kind of passed the peak and, you know, Friday the 13th's already been in 3d and we're moving towards the final chapter as it were. So we're, so we're kind of, past all that i didn't love the movie i liked it but i didn't there was something about it i think it was like i i never felt a real sense of um i am not gonna i'm not gonna say it's like a like um the discreet charm of the bourgeois you know the the well film <laughs> yeah. you know where everyone no one can leave the the house at dinner time. that that sort of almost is the feel this has to be like people are being killed Everyone knows they're being killed, but no one seems to be leaving.
1: You say the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, but I am thinking of
2: oh, the uh,
0: killer, angel?
1: killer Workout.
0: Killer, oh, yes. Ooh, killer Workout, yes. Killer Workout. Yeah. Well,
1: cause, you know, they keep working out. Like yes, they're literally putting somebody in a body bag, and these guys are lifting.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> if you've ever seen Killer Workout, in their defense, half the people in the workout have already been murdered.
1: <laughs> they're just still there. Well, you know, I like I lifting too, but like, you have to know when to, like, Go to you know Academy Fitness and buy your own buy your own
0: barbell for a while you know. <laughs> yeah. but the but, but the, the the sort of um it's 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 weird. Uh, I I did I, I never felt that much of a sense of peril in the movie. Yeah. and and there it's weird too because there there are certain things they did that I, I don't know if they like forgot that they done them or or whether they just bring things up. To kind of imply, hey, look, we're doing stuff that like a slasher film would do or something like that. Like the boys across the lake. That, to me, the implication is that at some point we're going to meet some boys across the yeah, lake. Yeah, that was so- disappointing. <laughs> and we never do. And yet they spend quite a bit of, not quite a bit of time, but some time kind of like showing it off and things like that. And and they do some weird things like when the gals come up from the dock at one point, there's a very nice sort of Halloween-esque moment where like, like someone's like torso steps into the right side of the frame with their body attacks. It's not just a floating torso, but you know what I mean? Like where Michael steps into the frame, you know, and and the music goes like, but then the camera pans up. So you see the person's face. I'm like, don't pan up. I don't want to know who that is. Don't stop. (laughs) And, and the, and and the, the other thing that I thought was weird is that like to all a good night is all gals at the school. Now the one gal, um, you know, the, the youngest Brady there, she, um, Jennifer Runyon. Yes. Yeah. She, she's, she's a new girl, but she's been there the whole semester. So all the gals there have been there the whole time. There's no new people there. I mean, the boys might technically be, but they're not supposed to be there anyways. But this, in this one, they very specifically introduce a new girl who gets the opening scene where she shows up and the closing scene where she leaves. Sorry, that might be a spoiler.
1: Well, she's clearly the final girl.
0: Yeah, she's clearly the final girl. But you always expect, like, if they're going to introduce a character like that into an already sort of enclosed system, that they're going to have something more important to do than just kind of be there.
1: Yeah, you know, I felt like... I felt like her purpose was to like interlope into the elite, but they didn't really like dive too deeply into that because she's like kind of this farm girl yes. who wins a scholarship and they threw, they put her in the middle of the summer semester where all the girls left behind are like the girls that couldn't graduate or get the right grades the previous semester. And, um, and it felt like there was going to be like, not necessarily a statement on like social class systems, but, but more, more happening with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they don't really do anything. So she kind of shows up and she's really nice and everybody kind of likes her for the most part, I guess. But like, you're right. Like, it's not like um, her coming there aside from just being the final girl, like there's no other purpose for her. It doesn't, it's not explored enough. I think
0: it's not like, it's not like it's going to become the house of the devil or something like that. You know, oh, it's not great, Yeah. She, she, yeah, she, she, she shows up. And you, I kept thinking she might be the killer. That's why they introduced. Oh, that'd be great. Her. That that's why because because that would make sense. But in the in in, I you know I don't want to say she's not the killer, but it's it's just um it's it's just <laughs> it's it's just strange to me that that you like when you introduce a character like this it's it is kind of like a Nancy Drew character, a detective character, and she does do some detective work, but not really that much. And there are so many other characters that there are times when you kind of forget about her. And to be honest, the second girl that got killed, it took me ages to figure out who it was.
2: You know how I knew? (laughs) I I knew because she's the one that spilled ink all over Stephanie's shirt.
0: Okay, yes. All right. The second time I I watched it, I knew who it was. That's when I got
2: real tension in there is when they were about to fight over
0: the shirt. (laughs) That was really awful, wasn't it? Because she like spills the ink over her shirt. Oh my God, it's never going to come out. Your shirt's ruined. (laughs) Oh my God. It, I kept
1: thinking, I kept thinking she was the girl that came from the Middle East. Oh, yes. Because yeah, I she... was mixing up all their names, and she and they, they both have like really exotic names. Like the girl that got killed, the second girl with the ink is Althea, and what was the other girl's name? It was this really Shana, beautiful.
0: Shana. Something.
3: Shana. Yeah. Shana. Yeah. Shama. She was Shana, kind of intense. Too. Oh, yeah. she
1: was great. Yeah, that actress was great. But like, like uh, because there were so many girls, I, and they were throwing their names around without really Mm letting you spend time with them so you knew who they were with the exception of maybe libby um it was like oh okay so is that who got killed yes you know because we didn't see her for a while and then i was like oh must be her and i'd forgotten about the girl that stole the diary the girl that stole libby's diary Oh yes
0: yeah yeah you know and and the thing is that does happen and i mean i've had that happen in regular slasher films more than one occasion i mean look at something like
1: to all a good night
0: yeah, yeah, to all good night. Oh, I was gonna say, <laughs> uh, Friday thirteen part seven, a new blood, there are a few killings in that where I go, Who is that? Who is that person? Yeah. And then when they go back to the crowd, you're like, Oh, that person's missing. It was that you know, and they're just they introduce so many characters, you go, Whatever. You're just there for the killing. When it's more of a murder mystery, you want to you you kind of need to know Yeah who who's been killed because there's a there's a specific reason for Oh, you think there is because something else might be going on.
1: Yeah, I guess that's interesting and maybe we can use that to bridge to the reveal at the end because I think about this film, it's very basic in terms of the blueprint, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. It's like a girl comes to a new school, they find a dead body like the next day, she wasn't very nice and then they do, like you said, like this Jaws cover up and then murders just start happening all over the place and then they're like, well, you guys can leave the day after tomorrow. We know there's a bunch of murders, but yeah. we're, we're going to keep you here for 48 hours and just don't leave your room or stay in pairs or whatever.
0: I'm surprised no, no one laughs when they hear the police will be here to protect you. There's no laughter in the room.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like this kind of wild, like premise. Hmm. And um, I don't know, there's a couple things I want to talk about. So I don't know if we should talk about the killer right away, but like, I like the adult characters a lot. So I think of the characters we see in the film. I think the standouts are actually Donna Reed, Larry Wilcox, and David Aykroyd, and probably Bill Paxton, um, who's not quite the older character, but who's somebody who, I guess he'd just done Mortuary, right? So he was kind of like coming into his own at this point. He he had yet to do Weird Science and really start to make a name for himself like out in like popular culture, but uh, he's so good. He's so good in this, and he's, what I like about Bill Paxton's character is that, I, I guess he's kind of a red herring, but he's so likable that you you're really rooting for him not to be the killer and that's probably the only instance in the film that I feel like that for anybody in particular but I like I like this weird sort of stuff that's happening in the background with David Ackroyd who plays uh John Farrar who's like the writing instructor and he's very touchy-feely with the girls and I can't tell he kind of at the end sort of absconds and condemns like the idea of doing anything with these girls but you don't feel that for a lot of the film and then we find out that he's had there are also two other characters that we just see for a couple seconds two teachers that are like in love with each other mm-hmm. do you remember what i'm talking about They is a
0: poetry, poetry yeah
1: song? yeah yeah and like i like them but like donna reed's character when i first saw this i was like oh okay donna <laughs> stop but i love this like backstory of like this love affair that she's having with uh Ferrar and and the way that like it kind of breaks her. Mhm. You know the stuff that he's doing and that he's going to leave and um and to me that becomes kind of the heart of the film. So it's like it's like it, even though they've got all of these really great young actors doing all of this really great stuff in the film in terms of just like showing their presence. Like Ali Sheedy's terrific in this film. Mm -hmm. I find though, I'm still gravitating towards the older characters and I really like Larry Wilcox. Um, And we can talk about him a little later um, because he's kind of doing two things in this. Um, But um, I found them really intriguing. I don't know if you guys were at all interested in the older characters. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, I definitely did, especially Donna Reed Mm -hmm. Uh, mainly because I did love the fact that, I mean, from, you know, most of the movie I thought she was kind of like uh, Meryl Streep in Devil Wears Prada because she's like <laughs> very like, I don't know, she at first seems like she rules with an iron fist and all this. But, and you know, as the movie goes on, you know, I think there's at one point where they mention that, you know, the school is like all she has. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it kind of makes her character, you know, a little more human, a little sad, you know, yeah. and, and I kind of understand it a little more when she's, You know, I guess not necessarily blasé about the killings, but, you know, like, she's desperate to keep the school um, (laughs) up and running.
1: Kind of like Picnic at Hanging Mm. Rock. Mm. Do you remember the the teachers there and i think one of them gets totally like destroyed by like when the two girls go missing it's like the end of the school i can't remember mm-hmm. now it's been so long since i've seen the film but there's this teacher that's kind of like, i feel like gets broken by everything that's happening and what i also like is that i think when i originally saw this i hadn't seen a lot of donna reed stuff
3: mm-hmm.
1: and she's not known for playing these kind of like really buttoned up harsh characters yeah and that was really nice i think she does a really fine performance in this yeah.
0: I, I I'm uh yeah I I used to I haven't watched a Donna Reed show in ages but I did watch it for a time when I was a kid and I always remember liking her in that and this great. this is a uh, I think this is a year or two before she takes over as Miss Ellie for a season on Dallas yes and uh, yeah I I just like her character in this because you, you, as you said you know this this is all she has this, well I don't I mean. It's a pretty big, important school. So, so to me, to just say this is all she has is to make her sound like you know um, Steve Martin at the end of the the jerk with the chair and the paddleball game going. This is all I need, kind of thing. But it's it's not. She has this huge school. She's at this big place and this big prestigious place that she's in charge of. But she doesn't seem particularly as as um, as Detective Kemper says. To her, you know, particularly like compassionate or human or anything. And that's the great thing about her scenes with Ferrar. there is like the moment he shows up, you know, it hits the floor and she just goes nuts. And she just becomes, she becomes human again for a little while. At least she can open up to one person. And sometimes that's all you can do.
1: I agree. Um, you know, there's just, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's just, as I get older, maybe I find it's just more interesting mm to me to see what they're doing with the older characters and how they've incorporated them into it and also i love melodrama and clearly what's going on at the school with the older characters is very melodramatic it's like these hot and heavy romances that are ending in heartbreak and it's interesting what you say about this idea of this is all she has because like you say she's running a really important prestigious school Mm -hmm. but at the same time in 1983 there's still this idea that if you're not married or have kids yeah You've somehow
0: missed the boat. She doesn't have the feel of sort of like um like the lady who runs the house into all a good night who has sort of the feel of, you know, like these are my girls, you know, kind of thing. She feels more like the lady in the house on sorority row, where like she yeah. has to she has to put up with the girls because that's what the school is. You know, and she if she could run a school that was filled with no one but teachers, she probably would, but then That would be silly.
2: (laughs) Kind of like the, who is it? The head mistress or the dean And Happy Birthday to Me. Yes. Where, yeah, that's kind of what it reminds me of.
0: Mm -hmm, With her dog and her, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Come
1: along, Winston.
0: Come along, Winston.
1: Yeah, I just rewatched that movie, and that's always what goes always through fun. my head whenever I watch it. Always yeah. a good time. That's my favorite part of the <laughs> film. Yeah, so so like, there's compelling things in the movie, and and what I like about it is now, even though I, it's not like my favorite film, I love that we can sit here and have this conversation about some of the characters mm-hmm. because. It's like a lot of times, and I love slashers, but sometimes you watch slashers and it's all teen-centric and that's great and stuff. Mm-hmm. But here we've got other things happening. So the older you get, it's like the film kind of grows in a different way mm-hmm. for you. And that's really great. And so that's something that I really appreciate that they incorporated into the movie. And I love David Ackroyd, who plays for yeah. her. He's a great actor.
0: Would, would that be something to to the sort of the... um. I mean, because obviously like your your slashes at the time were pitched to teens. Would 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 having more of the adults take charge in, in this be like the, the age group for who they're expecting would watch T V movies, do you think? Or or That's or...
1: possible. Yeah. Like... Well I always I do know that they like to anchor a lot of T V movies with a strong female lead and mm-hmm. a lot of times those women tended to be Mm-hmm. a little older yeah. you know and they weren't teenagers anyway you know um and there were a couple that were like valerie bertinelli was making tv movies at okay. a very young age and mm-hmm. she was a huge prospect but like valerie harper was mm. like older not older yeah. like in terms of real life but like an older person making these kind of like night night terror type yeah
3: things.
1: kim darby you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. they played housewives and and mothers and women who had jobs like um, Suzanne Pluchet in Fantasies, yeah. yeah. So, so I would I would think that Donna Reed would would be kind of a lure because the,
0: cause the gals do all the 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 student they do all kind of become almost one like they're, they're not they're not as distinguishable to me sort of as the adults even the adults I don't understand like the you know, the Mona Lisa guy and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> they, they have a bit more like the, like, like the gals. The, the, I think, I think the thing with the, the girls is that i or the young ladies is that I feel like I, I, I know them because it's like, Oh, it's Ally Sheedy. Oh, it's Diane Frank. You know, that kind of thing rather than knowing their characters. Yeah. And they're the ones that get killed. So you kind of, you don't want to get too connected to them because they might be gone in a moment.
1: And you'll be sad. It
0: was very sad, yeah. So, but but I be sad. but I but I do I do think that the the in in the end the characters in this I think the adults come out a little more. interesting. I mean, all I can remember about Ali Sheedy's character is um, that she has like a monkey or something. Yeah, really <laughs> I was about
1: thinking about this. Name was like Cortez or something. Yes, right? Cortez. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and they're fun. That's the thing. The, the other thing I like about the movie is that the cast is really young, and I feel like that there's like a lot of sincere performances in it. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of goes back to this, and I know Nate and um, one of his podcast partners, Joseph, and probably the other two from the Steer Continues have talked about this. But like, there's a, there's like too much antagonism
3: mm-hmm.
1: between mm-hmm. them, and one of the one of the things that makes slashers really good for me is when the main characters really get along with each other and then you feel more invested in them. Like he knows yeah. you're alone or killer party, mm-hmm. right? Those are really good examples of uh, female friendship in films. So you're like rooting for all the girls because mm-hmm. they all really like each other. Here, it's like they all hate each other and they kind of section off, but I don't know that they're even that nice to their friend.
3: And part,
0: part of the tricky thing too is I feel like they use the same bedroom over and over again. So I'm never a hundred percent certain what bedroom we're meant to be in when they keep going to bedrooms. It's like there's a bed in the foreground, there's a bed in the background, there's a door on the left, there's a dresser in the back, there's a clock, and it look it looks to me like it's the same exact bedroom. They're just redressing each time. But well, I, I think little... one of them has a Tom Selleck poster. That's right. One of them has a Tom Selleck poster, just like in Last Slumber Party. Yes, there's the gal see? in there, she has the Last slumber... uh, a Tom Selleck yes. poster. Yeah, yeah.
1: Very important for yeah. all young teens. Yeah. I can't think of one teenage girl who was in love with Tom Zellick <laughs> because he looks so much older.
0: Does it, don't they also, doesn't one of the girls have an Asia as in the band, not the country oh, poster? Oh,
1: I feel like I did see a lot of posters, but I don't remember all of them, but I wouldn't be surprised. Cause they were great. Because I, I could
0: remember at one point seeing Steve Howe's face and thinking, why would a young woman be hanging a picture of Steve Howe, who's a great guitarist, but a strange looking man on her wall? And I thought, oh, wait, 83, Asia.
1: Yeah, you find you find yourself in eighty two. Yourself... one
0: year later. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> only, time, only time will tell. You know that.
1: <laughs> They're so good. I love that. So um, but yeah, so like, um, so yes, so there are interesting aspects to this movie. So let's let's talk uh, a little bit about the reveal. So mm-hmm. we haven't talked at all about Larry Wilcox, who plays a really interesting character in the film. He's the detective who comes like the movie we're going to talk about. I think he comes from a bigger city or yes. something, and he ends up in this little town that's kind of corrupt or whatever in terms of like there's a lot of power given to the school and things like that so he's kind of out of control in terms of things he might want to do to like catch the killer and then we find out oh hey wait he is the killer and I like the reveal of it because I think Larry Wilcox does a really good job I think he's a fine actor I think he's really good um I think when he did chips I know he kind of had a headbutt with Eric Strada because I feel like they were two different types of actors. Yeah. And Larry Wilcox came from that, like, really trained school. And Erica Sharda came from that I'm really good-looking and I have a lot of charisma <laughs> <Yeah>. school. <laughs> and and it's two totally different approaches. And um, and you can see, if you watch a lot of Larry Wilcox TV movies, so, like, he's in The Girl Most Likely 2, where he plays Moose. He was in um, The Great American Beauty Contest, where I think he plays Farrah Fawcett's chauvinistic boyfriend. And he, he approaches every role differently. And so um, this is, I think, a good example of him not being John
3: from Chips. found his mother at this fancy girl's school. School. The school was the most important thing in the world to her. She didn't want anything else, so he decided to take it away from her. Everything, her reputation, her school, everything. And that's Stephanie. Story of my life. This wife is your mother. You did this all for revenge. I don't want to kill you, Stephanie, but I have to. <laughs> You understand? No, no, it's not
1: true. It wasn't like that. I don't know that the part of the reveal is so great. Like you, I, I, my mom gave me up, mm. and I found out that she ran the school, And so I thought I would like destroy her. And and that's a fine premise. I mean, that could work for any film, but it's how he delivers it. I think at the end that I, I really appreciate. Like the there's sort of like a heartache to it. Mm. That I really liked, and I thought he was really good. And what do you guys think about the reveal of the killer? Nate?
2: Um, I mean, I was very shocked at, uh, who the killer turned out to be. I did think, you know, as far as the motive goes, I'm like, well, dang, I mean, uh, the girls didn't do anything.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it sort of reminds me of the motive in, um, you know, that late 80s slasher Intruder yes when the motive i mean i'm not gonna spoil anything but when the motives revealed it makes you wonder why some of these characters had to die i mean it doesn't make sense (laughs) but that's one thing i love about it um but yeah i mean um you know i I was fine with the reveal mainly because you know i had no idea who the killer was for a while i thought it was donna reed but it wasn't
1: that would have been great
2: can you imagine a showdown at the end with her as the killer I think that'd been fun.
1: That would have worked because um, the idea of uh, repeating Friday the Thirteenth, mm. you know, with Mrs. Voorhees, yeah, and and um, oh my god, I can't even remember the final girl, Alice. Alice yeah. And and that to repeat that would have been really fun, I think, you know. And I, I don't know that Donna Reed would have been up for. it. We'll talk a little <laughs> bit about her feelings about the, her later work um, when I do the background. Cisco and but, Ebert
0: would have been pissed if she turned out to be the killer.
1: Yeah, um, they would have been would giving
0: you, her home address out and everything.
1: Yeah, they would have. Uh, Dan, did you did you guess the killer? And what did you think about
0: it? Uh, no, no, I did. I did not guess the killer. And I and and um, because like I said, I kept thinking it was going to be Diane, Fra- or Frank, or Stephanie, just because yeah. she was the new girl, and 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 it start and the killing started immediately after she arrived. Ooh. Yeah, and the first two killings are linked to you know Timber. There is mean to her. And then the other gal spills the ink on her. But then but then the more you think about it, you think, mm. isn't that too obvious? And of course it is too obvious. It it it's it's not the way it happens. And I, I, I do I, I I actually was wondering what would have happened if like they hadn't discovered that he was the killer. What would have happened, like how many more of the girls would he have been able to kill before they all left? Yeah. and what would like like cuz now he's going to be put away presumably and hopefully the reputation of the school will come back but i'd like to know if like his plan had succeeded if he had just like killed as many girls as he could and just left his 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 mom just kind of destitute like maybe sitting at her desk out on the curb waiting for the garbage truck or something like that you know just i would have I loved to why. see what it, it 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 had gone to but i think i mean i think it's, the the problem i have with it is that that kidnap scene which, again, should have involved Diane Franklin in some way, I, yeah. I think. Um, that kidnap scene just kind of confused me. In fact, I kept thinking of, like, it was, have we become the toolbox murders? Like, what, what is going on here? Oh. And and, and um, But that, that kidnap scene confused me. And then when they capture the guy, I was I don't know if it was the rhythm I was watching the movie with. But like I mentioned earlier, I kind of felt like it was over, almost. But then I checked the time, and there were 10 minutes left, and I was like, okay, there's more. And, th- and then the rest happened, and it almost became like a slasher film briefly with a little bit of a chase, but not much. And then he reveals it, and I I, liked, I thought it was a good reveal, and I like the great thing about it is you can go back and watch the movie again and watch him talk to, to Donna, Reed, Donna Reed's character. You can watch him investigating, knowing the whole time that he is doing everything bad. And so you can watch it from his point of view, sort of, which I like. Like Barton Fink. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you can go in and, you know, like um, I was going to say a certain French – horror film from like the last 10 years that has a big twist with something but I'm not going to say what it is. But Oh sort of, I think I know what you're yes. talking about. Yes yeah. and, and that one you can, you can go back and watch that one again from a different point of view so so that's kind of fun to watch because when you watch it the second time and we're like Stephanie is like handing the detective like oh uh, we I found this glove in the barn and he's kind of grilling her about when did you find it there because we yeah. went through there uh, very thoroughly and da, da 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 and then you realize the whole time he's just playing her because he's the killer he knows you know he knows what's going on so he's just having some fun he's having some killer related fun killer's got to have fun too (laughs) killer's got to have fun too that's true so i I thought uh, to to me the the ending worked was it? i mean was it an exciting ending would i have preferred to have seen a 20 minute chase through the place with diane franklin like beating donna reed to the ground running away 20 feet beating her down again running away yes of course i would But it didn't happen.
1: No, we can still dream though.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm dreaming right now.
1: Yeah, I have to say Diane Franklin is so great. And I don't really like, I think I don't appreciate her as much as I should because every time I see her in something... I'm like, God, she's yeah. so... Well, first of all, she's stunning. Yes. But she's also like a really good actress. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she's done a bunch of different films. And some of them have been really dark. Like Amityville 2. Oh, yes. Is, oh, God. What yeah. a dark film. Yeah. And then she did like, of course, Last American Virgin, which is kind of a fascinating film to watch mm-hmm. as an adult. Yeah. Because I never realized it... When i was a teenager it seemed kind of like this weird love story that had a kind of an unhappy ending but it's yeah. actually like the main character from friday 13th part four by the way um is uh projecting all of this stuff onto diane franklin we hardly ever learn about her
3: character mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. in the movie and she's really good she's great as this yeah. kind of object she was in
0: bill and ted i forgot she was in bill and that's ted.
1: right yeah
2: the first one yeah princess oh i loved her in terror vision
1: Oh, oh, that's why yes, right. She that's is right. in that. She's yeah. like the punk
2: rocker girl. I yes.
0: yes, oh my God. yes. And, the, and the uncle from uh, Napoleon Dynamite is the uh, other punk Rocky guy, I think, or something, or I forget. I forget. But she's yeah. A oh, tremendous yeah. underrated
1: career, you know, and, um, and she's good in this. And I think she was well cast mm-hmm. because I think she is kind of got this inherent like ability to her. And so does Ali Sheedy. Mm-hmm. Um, But, um, but I feel like of the actresses that we saw, you just kind of naturally gravitate towards her. Mm-hmm. There's just she just has this presence about her very girl next door kind of thing that I think appeals to a lot of people and so she was she was perfectly cast. It's just that, I think you're right, there's just, it's almost like there's too many, mm-hmm. even though it's, there's hardly anybody in the film, Yes. it, it feels like there's too many, you know what I mean? Too much
0: happening, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like, it's one of one of the great things about slashers is that as you go through slashers, the cast diminishes, but in this, it never seems like it does, no matter how many people they kill, there always <laughs> seems to be more people.
1: Well, then like the teachers pop up reading poetry to each other, yes. and they've been introduced earlier very briefly. Mm-hmm but then they're just here in the scene and and they're in the middle of like all these people being murdered.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Like it
1: was, it was really strange.
0: Yeah. It's like no one has cars or they can't, there isn't a bus. I know these are rich girls and they probably don't go on buses, but maybe now's the time to try. (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing for me is I just kind of, I kind of either, oh, I'm watching the scene now where uh, Diane Franklin is in bed and she's going to wander around the school in her nightgown. I like that scene. But I think if the the scene had either, if the movie had either been more slashery, like more of a focus on like the killing, which it couldn't really do, more of a focus on the killings and stuff like that, or if sort of the characters had been a bit better sort of sketched in. I would like it more, but it's kind of walking a line where there are a whole bunch of killings and there are a whole bunch of characters and the killings aren't really up to much and the characters aren't really up to much. And so it's good, but it just, it misses being great.
1: You you know, what was neat and underutilized was that mystery game that she had.
0: Yes. I thought they were going to do something with that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they were attributing the people at the school to Mm. the, to the characters in the game and then trying to figure out who the killer was. Mm. And I feel like, okay, so, this just came into my head, but you know, when we did Mazes and Monsters, that, yes. that uh, Tom Hanks film, you remember I told you how much it felt like a horror film, except it's not really a horror film,
3: Yeah.
1: but it had a feel to it mm-hmm. and that game was really important Yeah. and I keep feel, of course, I mean, it's all based on the game, but I feel like, I feel like they could have done something here with a smaller cast and mm-hmm. maybe utilizing the game.
0: Yeah. I thought that's what they were going to, I thought that's what they were going to do like the game would be important but it's not it shows up in a one scene later on and is done
1: yeah it was intriguing but then kind of underutilized yeah. so I don't know I mean like I said I don't want to poopo on the movie it's a you know it's doing something that a lot of TV movies at the time weren't doing mm-hmm. and it's unique in its way and it's got some decent actors so I mean I definitely recommend it I think people who watch it will probably have fun with it but I do think that you're right that it's like um it could have been tightened up maybe at the end i think mm-hmm. so we're gonna all give it a thumbs
0: up yeah i i, 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 I get give, i give it um i give it sort of a thumbs almost all the way up i yeah, i yeah. you know i'm not 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 a full year but almost <laughs>
1: okay so so should i do some background on it
0: yes please
1: Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Deadly Lessons. It originally aired on March 7th, 1983 on ABC. It was written by a woman named Jennifer Miller and directed by the great William Wired, who did This House Possessed. Um, It came in at number 23 out of 72 programs to air for the week, which isn't bad. Uh, It ranked at number 83 out of 231 made-for-TV movies to air in um, the 1982-1983 season with a seventeen point six-six, sorry, 17.6 slash 28 rating, which just means 28% of people with televisions who are watching TV the night that Deadly Lessons aired tuned in to Deadly Lessons. Um, uh, It ran against on CBS, Alice, One Day at a Time, and Cagney and Lacey, and on NBC it ran against another TV movie titled Living Proof, The Hank Williams Story. So let me tell you a little bit about the filmmakers and um, and one of the actors, and then we'll move into the location, and just a little bit of, um, um, I think I found a review. So... Uh, William Wired, who I mentioned was the director, um, and he's one of my favorites. Uh, he did three TV movies with a writer named David Levinson. He did Fantasies and This House Possessed and something called Kicks with um, Shelley Hack and Anthony Gary that I quite like. But you know, This House Possessed and Fantasies are like oh, my yeah. two favorite TV movies. He was really pro- prolific in the world of episodics, but he directed a lot of made-for-TV movies, including Ski Lift to Death, which we covered, which had that really great sweater contest because they couldn't have like a wet t-shirt oh, yeah. contest. Do you remember that? So it was like, sweater contest. Yeah. Um, he did the girl that Watch watching everything with Pam Dauber and help wanted Mail, which also stars Suzanne Plachette. She was in fantasies. Um, In his early career, he worked in different roles for uh, the editing department of shows such as *Ozzy and Harriet and the Hawaiian Eye. However, it was his work on 77 Sunset Strip, where he was able to kind of branch over to directing. Now, he'd already directed some stuff, but this is where he met William Conrad, who played Cannon, of course, in the 70s. So did you know Cannon was a producer on 77 Sunset Strip?
0: I didn't know that.
1: I didn't either. I just found that out. Wow. Um, According to the book, The American Vane, Directors and Directions in Television, it was Conrad who really got wired into directing. So although he'd already seen a number of episodic entries like FBI and Love American Style, Conrad brought Wired onto Canon to oversee several entries. It's something like 19 episodes or something he directed. But he's probably best known for directing 26 episodes of The Rockford Files, including a really famous one called Just Another Polish Wedding, which is often considered one of the best episodes of the series. Uh, Wired also got a lot of attention for a theatrical film he did called Tom Horn, which featured Steve McQueen. That was shot in 1979, uh, right about the time McQueen was uh, actually consumed with cancer, and he was actually dying when they made the film. Um, It would be the second to last thing McQueen would do and Wired got a lot of warm notice in the newspapers for his directing. So screenwriter Jennifer Miller is a little bit of an enigma to me. She has a handful of screenwriting credits, uh, but I think it's a pretty impressive resume. So she is somehow attached to the adaptation of Dark Secret of Harvest Home. I think she co-wrote that. As well as writing the 1980 small screen thriller The Babysitter um, with Stephanie Zimbalist and William Shatner and Patty Duke. Uh, She also wrote In the Custody of Strangers, which is a really great dramatic TV movie which starred Jane Alexander, Martin Sheen, and his son Emilio Estevez. Um, That is actually streaming, and I highly recommend people watch that if they want to see a really good drama. Um, That was produced the year before Deadly Lessons. Now, she was born in Liverpool in the UK, and she actually began her career as a comedian. Uh, She would go on to be nominated for an Emmy for her work on Roseanne. She did that under a pen name, Jen Heath. And she also would work as a producer here and there. But in 2001, she got some note for a memoir of sorts. She wrote called the day I went missing a true story, which is based on her encounters with a really bad therapist. Now I haven't read this book, but I read some reviews of it. And apparently it reads like a mystery novel and it's about how she gets deeper and deeper into like this therapist's really bad advice. And something happens, and I guess there's a twist at the end, but this is based on a true story that actually happened to her. And she kind of disappeared after that. I can't find anything else out about her, but she sounds fascinating. So Donna Reed was making a return to the small screen after a four-year absence. And previous to that, she'd been gone for about a decade, actually, or so. Uh, She didn't do too much afterwards. Of course, she did Dallas, which you mentioned, um, for a season. She replaced Barbara Bel Geddes as Miss Ellie. Now, she was unhappy with both Deadly Lessons and Dallas. And it seems like her feelings about acting may have soured over the years. But I think this is a pretty great role for her, considering how removed it feels from her time on The Donna Reed Show. But, of course, she was much more than that series, um, even though that was a mega hit and still finally remembered. Uh, I would imagine her most famous theatrical appearance was in It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Which, again, she plays. So the thing about It's a Wonderful Life, that really I love is when they're like, what would life be like without me? And Jimmy Stewart's walking around watching everybody. And they're like, what became of my wife? And they're like, she became a librarian. And (laughs) they act like she's a spinster. And I'm like, oh, she got a master's? (laughs) And she runs a library? That feels like a really good end.
0: You know what I mean? They put glasses on her and suddenly it's like, oh no!
1: And it's hilarious, right? And it's kind of what this situation is here. It's like she's running this really elite school but she somehow considered like having lacking in something because she's not married or has a kid you know so it's really interesting but she was also in from here to eternity uh the picture of dorian gray uh the apache trail a bunch of stuff so she's really famous but i think it's interesting at the end she was not happy with any of the roles she was getting which is why i think she retired i know on dallas she felt kind of pushed out by the cast because yeah. they were a really tight knit group and she kinda came in and was seen as an interloper. And she's not the only person who said that. Like Dak Rambo has said he kind of felt oh, like yeah. he was on the outside of stuff. And it's because that show was so popular and the people who got famous right off the bat when the show started kinda stayed in like this very kind of tight knit group. And still to this day the survivors, mm-hmm. you know, like Linda Gray and um the Duff. Charlene Tilden, yeah, and Patrick Duffy, they all are really close. So I, I think a lot of people who came in later had a hard time kind of breaking into that. Mm-hmm. And I think Donna Reed took that kind of personally, maybe. And it's kind of soured her in some aspects. But I kind of see where it's coming from. She's not making it up. So I'll tell you a little bit about the location. So it is not the Calvin School for Girls in To All the Good Night, which really bummed me out because I thought it was. And I thought, ooh, I thought I saw something there. But it was shot at Mayfield Senior School in Pasadena, which was also the location for the horror film Jennifer with Burt Comby. Oh, nice. I'm looking at my Jennifer lobby card right now. (laughs) I have a Burt Comby lobby card. Um, The exteriors we see in the film are what's called Strub Hall, uh, which according to the school's website, quote, is home to Mayfield's main office, humanities classroom, visual arts studios, and the library and technology center, which opened in September 2012. Many of the house's original ground floor um, entertaining rooms have been repurposed into community gathering areas, including the living room, conference room, and chapel. This beloved Italiente Bu Arts, I don't know how you say that, bu Arts, Home at the heart of the eight-acre campus was built between 1914 and 1919 for an oil magnet and purchased for the Society of the Holy Child Jesus by Dr. Charles and Vera Strub in 1950, end quote. And so as Dan mentioned earlier, this was marketed as a murder mystery. The reviews of this movie were actually pretty positive. Uh, the Washington Post liked it, and they said, quote, Writer Jennifer A. Miller not only knows how to dangle ever so deftly a red herring or two, she has even bothered to create believable and multidimensional characters and to shade the film with seemingly authentic details to preppy peer pressure and social stratification among the young. The final confrontation should probably have been more harrowing than it is. We all agreed with that. And it requires the killer to divest himself or herself of great reams of 11th hour exposition, Quote, I suppose you're wondering why I killed all those pretty girls, end quote, here she might have said. But director William Wired moves the thing along so briskly that implausibilities can be brushed aside like cobwebs end quote variety called it marginally entertaining and uh nancy cartwright who plays libby was noted by both critics as being the most interesting character in the film and uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with nancy cartwright she went on to become bart simpson is that right on the simpsons so she's a gazillionaire now and as hard as libby had it Mm -hmm. i think she made up for it she
2: won in the end
0: yeah at about she did four years when tracy Ullman takes america's heart she'll be there alongside her that's right
1: that's right so that's really interesting it's funny when she shows up and stuff i just watched her in another tv movie and i uh, it's with um cheryl ladd and she plays cheryl ladd's sister and cheryl ladd what is the name of it it was really good um cheryl ladd plays this like pregnant woman who's getting on um, probation she committed some kind of crime and she ends up in the small town where her sister lives and she hooks up with uh um oh my god what's his name mike farrell oh wow who's like this really prestigious member Mm -hmm. of this small town. And then she like starts just like going crazy, having an affair with his son and Mm -hmm. making him spend all this money on her. And then it leads to, you know, murder or whatever. But anyway, so Nancy Cartwright's in that. She's quite good in that as well. So that's my background for that. So we've, we now cover Deadly Lessons. Um, It is enjoyable Mm -hmm. um, and you can find it online. Hopefully it'll get a really good release. I kind of feel like if this movie was maybe put out on DVD, it might play better mm-hmm. because it was it was shot well. I mean, it's yeah. a beautiful looking film, so I I feel like it's it's in dire need of a release, some kind of release, mm-hmm. you know, streaming or something. Because I feel like I feel like we're missing something
0: without that. And I think if if we could convince people, I should have tried to convince people better that it is that I think it's it is a straightforward slasher because once you once you can say a film's a slasher film, like it goes into that sort of realm of slashers where. People are going to watch it. People are going to talk about it, regardless what it is, because it's a slasher film.
1: Yeah, and and companies like Vinegar Syndrome and yeah, we'll people who like to release slashers might. Yeah, I know TV movies are hard to license, but this is one I feel like would do really well just mm-hmm. based off the cult reputation that it has. Yeah, And also because it does feature so many actors at the beginning of their career. I mean, we only talked about a few of them. I think Krista Erickson, who plays Temper, had been in um, Little Darlings. Mm-hmm. And I, I know Renee Jones, was she in Friday 13th Part Sev? six.
0: Six. six. Right? She was in
3: six. Yeah. yeah she's
1: adorable. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Yeah. And um, and of course Ali Sheedy and Diane Franklin. Um, and uh Bill Paxton. Yeah. And, and Rick Rosevich too, who I think was in Ruskies. I don't know why that's the only thing I don't remember <laughs> him now, but he was in it. Um and you know what I mean? And so like I feel like I feel like it's it's got a sellability to mm-hmm. it. So yeah. hopefully somebody out there can yes, yeah. get that out on DVD so we can appreciate it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to move on to our next film, Lovely. which is Terror at London Bridge. And I have lots of words and thoughts on this one.
0: Friday, a world movie premiere. Jack the Ripper is alive. Knight Rider's David Hasselhoff,
3: Hunter's Stephanie Kramer, and one of
0: history's most famous killers.
3: He's out there. we got to stop
0: him. Right? He's watching their every move. But together, they might survive. Ah. Jack the Ripper has found a bridge across time. Friday. In 1888, Jack the Ripper is (laughs) uh, killing—so it's Jack the Ripper, it's Whitechapel, 1888, killing uh, prostitutes and such. And uh, the movie begins with a wild chase across London Bridge where he—I forget, does he get shot off the bridge? Does he fall off? It doesn't really matter. He goes off London Bridge and takes a stone on the bridge with him, falls along with him. In circa 1985, uh, London Bridge has been taken apart brick by brick, stone by stone, and reassembled in Lake Havasu in Arizona. And we are in Lake Havasu at the time when a missing stone has been found. And they put the missing stone back. And the movie begins and they're about to um dedicate the bridge properly. They've got like a little London area around this, um around the bridge. And it 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 begins with a with a couple who are just sort of passing through. To, to Vegas. They're going to Vegas, I believe. And they're staying there the night, and the wife really wants to walk on the bridge. She kind of sneaks out on the bridge when she's kind of not supposed to be there. And she accidentally bleeds on the stone and brings Jack the Ripper back to life. I know, right? It, that's what happens. And Jack the Ripper is back to life, and he kills her, and it begins... Um, now, I'm going to look at what David Hasselhoff's character name is, because I was going to say Mitch, but that's his character in Baywatch. Uh, his character's name is Don... Yes, it sure is Don Gregory and Don begins to investigate and Don is a cop from Chicago who accidentally shot a young man who's armed with I believe a can opener. And uh Don is now in Lake Havasu and he's teamed up with Joe Nez, played by Randolph Mantooth, and they begin to investigate this. And they're trying to sort of shut the bridge down. It's 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 right after it's been dedicated. Lots of tourists are there. And he he's trying to get it shut down. But um the guy who runs the city council, whose name I didn't take now, but I just call him Mr. Jerk. Oh, uh,
1: that's the, Lane Smith, right?
0: Yes, yes, the uh, From Dark
1: Knight of the Scarecrow.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Island.
1: Harlan, did you put up that scarecrow? Yes,
0: and um, uh, he's the the city council, and again, very Jaws-like. We don't want you to close yeah. down the bridge, even though there's been a murder, because we want the tourist trade through. Gulliger plays the chief of police, who spends a good fifteen minutes of the movie just yelling. There's something weird about
3: this murder. I don't think Alice Williamson was killed for the money in her purse. What makes you say that? Pete, true crime happens to be a hobby of mine. I've been a student of criminal behavior
0: all my life. Now, I'm telling you the M.O. is all wrong here. If this was some road
3: bum how to score a purse, he'd club his victim or, or flash a knife to scare her. He wouldn't cut her throat. That's a theory, Gregory. That's all it is. It's a theory, and it's your theory. I don't want to see your theories in the newspaper, all right? It's Lake Havasu. It's not Chicago.
0: Around here, we do things my way. I mean, it's no big deal. We just do them my way. You're enjoying the movie, baby? Be tempered by how much you enjoy that. Um, but 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 he's very much like, the chief is very much like, uh, Gregory, uh, what are you doing? This ain't hey, Chicago. You can't do this. Da, 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 da. We're not shutting anything down. Investigate it and shut up. And then a woman goes missing. A reporter goes missing. And we could talk about uh, the reporter later on. But a reporter who sort of published the an interview with Don that she wasn't supposed to. She goes missing, and then another woman who could be Adrian Barbeau goes missing. And then some British guys, some very suspicious British gentlemen, show up in town. Um, Don is investigating things and discovers that um, uh, there was very old blood on the neck of the first woman that was killed, implying that the knife or scalpel that was used killed someone else and killed someone else a long time ago. Plus, there's very old cloth.
3: The report. This is the spooky part. Yeah, I see what you mean. They're absolutely certain this fabric comes from the last century. Absolutely. We don't have the lab equipment for dating fabric here in Havasu, but Phoenix does, and I did double-check. It's just that your everyday killer doesn't run around wearing 100-year-old clothes. That's not all. There's the blood. You mean from Alice Williamson? No, the other fragment we found on her throat. Well, what about it? Well, judging from the texture and the coloration and the general composition of the fragment, it's old blood. How old? Well, there's no way to tell for certain. You can't date blood the way you can cloth, but if you want a ballpark estimate, it's possible that it's also from the last century.
0: Gradually as it goes along and Don begins to cultivate a bit of a relationship with Miss uh, Angie Shepard, uh, he begins to realize that there may be a copycat Jack the Ripper killer out there. But then the more he investigates, he starts to realize it might be a little deeper than that. And I'm just going to stop right there. Gregory, get in here.
1: Sorry. That's, <laughs> that's your clue. I love clue. in all every movie I watch him because it almost feels like he's in his own film. <laughs> and, that's, and that's like he good. was, yeah. he did this movie with Chuck Norris in force of one or one of those movies. Mm-hmm. and, and um, and it's like he likes to swing his leg up onto desks and stuff yeah. and and it's fantastic. And he's always like got this very kind of um, nuanced performance that feels so different from everybody else in the movie. And I think he's really great in this. There's a lot of pacing he does. And like I'm like, is he supposed to be pacing? I think he must because the camera's following him, but it feels kind of almost like a natural like acting choice, you know what I mean? That he just did without blocking. Like, I don't know. There's something about Klugolger that is really mystical and enigmatic um, that I always love. Uh, This movie I've seen like a ridiculous amount of times. Um, I love it. I love it. It's a wackadoodle. I mean, it's crazy. The premise of this movie is absolutely insane, but it's played with such a genuine approach and straight face and with a lot of heart. And one thing I will say about David Hasselhoff I mean there's a lot of things I could say about David Hassloff but one thing I will say about him is that he has to be one of the most sincere actors I've ever encountered. They put him in the craziest stuff like he's got a car that mm-hmm. talks yeah. and he sits and has they conversations. Watch yeah, yeah. Yes, and everything works because he approaches everything like it could be real. Mm-hmm. And, and with this kind of full heart, there's something about David Hasselhoff that I find really, like, oh, just genuine. He just has a very genuine persona in his in his work that I really am drawn to. And so I find this song to be really charming because it's crazy, but it puts it in a universe that makes it feel real. And it's like you can buy every crazy thing that's happening because everybody is being very serious about it, but not serious in a way that's, like, campy. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand how it got made. Like, the directing in this is so interesting. And, and the way it's laid out is so interesting. And the performances are so interesting. And also, it's just this crazy, fun film. So I'm I'm a big, huge fan of it. And it's fine if you guys aren't. But I will be curious to hear what you think. And I know, Dan, you've seen this because I think I did a live tweet with this. And we you did a live tweet, yeah, yeah. And what do you think of this movie?
0: I enjoy it. I, um, I, I remember doing the live tweet. And that was the first time I saw it. I watched it once before we did the tweet. And um, I remember enjoying it, but not actually um, sort of looking at it closely as I have these two times when I'm watching yeah. it. And I will say, as you might have guessed from my description of the movie, I did find, as much as I love Kluh Gulliger, I found his I, – I didn't know whether his character in the end was meant to be a joke or not. Because it's like he shows up like every ten minutes and just berates – David (laughs) Hasselhoff's character. But then they're like best friends. And It's just so even like there's a scene in the end where they like catch the guy who they think is the Jack the Ripper and they've got him in prison. And David Hasselhoff is like six feet away from the jail cell door and he's been concussed and he doesn't look well. And Kugler comes down and says, well, we caught our guy. And David Hasselhoff says, "I, I don't think he's our guy. What do you mean you don't? And he spends like two minutes just like six inches from his face just yelling at him. And it's just like, and it's funny because like this is the time period when um, the TV show Sledgehammer was on, and Sledgehammer had the great character of Captain Trunk, who was basically the mm. most yelling uh, police chief ever.
1: That is the most preposterous thing
0: that I have ever heard. And so when I watch Gulliger in this, it's around the same time period. I think is that meant to be sort of making fun of it because there are a lot of scenes with him in it. And every scene, he's just yelling at him.
1: It's interesting what you say, because Stephanie Kramer uh, had just started Hunter the year before. Oh, okay. And i never seen Hunter till this weekend, so I oh, thought, well. oh, I'm going to watch some of this stuff. And that is clearly the inspiration for Sledgehammer.
3: Mm, it could be.
1: You yes. know, the guy from uh, Hunter, whatever. Yeah. The actor's, I'm forgetting the actor's name now, but, like, he is clearly Hammer. the... Yeah, and then and then DeRoe is the Stephanie Kramer character of we'll Call, mm. but like, um, so that's funny that you would bring that up. But Sledgehammer came a couple of years after this.
0: I th- I thought it was like eighty five. It may have been the year after.
1: The oh, maybe movie. it was eighty five. I keep forgetting we're I, like getting to the mid eighties now.
0: I, I thought it was like eighty five to eighty seven. I think is when it when it aired that's for two
1: possible? seasons. That's possible. Yeah, I can't it, remember. It was, it, yeah,
0: you're right. It's, it's in the it, it, They're in the vicinity, but but I just and, and it's so weird too because he he's you know he's always bringing up you're from Chicago. This is this is this is not Chicago, and he brings that up over and over again. And there's there's got to be like a time either I like like the second time I watched this, I got halfway through it, and all I could think was you know Clue, fire him if he's that bad, and you hate him <laughs> so much, just fire him or suspend him, you know. And and David Hasselhoff if he's if he's yelling at you like this all the time, surely you must be able to go to HR at some point because I think this is harassment.
1: Maybe that happened after.
0: It, it, and there's just, like, there's one scene in there where um, the Gregory character has, like, a pile of evidence. Oh, we've got this boot and this boot and we've got this bit of cloth and this bit of cloth and we've got this and we've got the. And, you know, because the Klugeguliger has been like, well, you don't have any proof. We've well, got this, we've got this, we got this, we've got this, and we, got this, and we, got this and we got this. And the whole time, if you look at Klugeguliger's face, he just has this look on his face like... You big city cop! Shut up! I hate this. (laughs) I hate you. I'm thinking, why has he got the look on his face like that? I just don't. My, I've been watching um, lately. I've been watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, which I absolutely adore, and Captain Holt in that starts off as sort of the classic kind of hammer kind of guy but then gradually you get to know him he becomes still tough as tough as nails but um hard as nails tough, um but still but becomes like a very nice guy too and there's something about the clue character who's like so how do you work with like a boss who doesn't have your back at all any anything you do he's going to yell at you for anything you do you know if the movie had continued on for another 15 minutes he would have yelled at Hasselhoff some more even after they caught Jack the Ripper <laughs> no he would have done that so it's just one of those it's one of those weird things where I didn't really notice it when we did the live tweet but this time around it kind of like that was the the rest of the movie I adore but I just find every time we went to Clue Gulliger's character my heart kind of sunk a little bit because I was like oh here we go and the exact oh. same scene happened again. As much as I love, I mean, this is the year he was in Return of the Living Dead, and he's so great in Return of the Living Dead. Oh yes. Yeah, and, and so it's just like it's just. I really enjoy the movie. I get a kick out of it. It's crazy. I love the fact that Stephanie Powers' character, like they they have Stephanie Kramer. Stephanie Kramer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Gosh, and you know, I didn't know her first name was spelled like that when I saw it Stephanie. come up on the screen. Stephanie.
1: I know. I'm never sure. I'm saying it right. Am I supposed to be saying Stephanie?
0: Stephanie. Yeah. And um, but but like, I love how she goes out with Don. And they have a really long date that first time. They really seem to hit it off. And then they have like a second date. And that's really nice. But then the rest of the dates seem to be just her going to his house, him going to her house, so she can be the person who listens to the exposition.
1: Yeah, she he really took that seriously when she said she wanted to be a psychiatrist. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to just use that as much as I can. But in his defense, her house
0: was amazing. It is a nice house. Yeah. It was yeah, a
1: beautiful house.
0: And she seems yes. to have coffee on tap.
1: Yeah, she does. Because it's like two in the morning. Yeah, like she's like, the what's some coffee?
0: What's going on? I need to talk to you. Okay. And he leans against the counter and she hands him a cup of coffee. This is all I have. And he has and goes, yeah, that's great. That's what I needed. And I thought, where'd you get that from? I don't have coffee. Just sitting around at two in the morning in case David Hasselhoff comes over. I should, because that would I bring should. him over. Yeah. I, I think I think it's a super fun film that this time around the cop stuff kind of got on my nerves. And there's one more scene that got on my nerves. But I could mention that later. Okay.
1: So, Nate, had you seen the-
2: this before no uh, you've stolen the VHS it has like oh, great wow. tagline oh there was a great it's a it's like a, a a rhyme and suddenly I'm blanking on what that rhyme was there once was a lad named Jack uh, for killing he had a knack would no I like, all right sorry um, I'm, That's okay. I'm just I'm totally don't remember it but anyway um, I found it to be a pretty entertaining movie like you said I, I probably found it more unintentionally funny. Because I thought Clue Gulliger was hilariously over the top. Not in a bad way, of course. But just, like, his, like, going off on David Hasselhoff, like, every five minutes. And, uh, and like you said, then later they're, you know, hanging out like they're big buddies. So.
1: Yeah, I like, you know. Once he's, like, he's, like, okay, now I believe you. And then he's, like, he's, like, super friendly with them. And I'm, like, you were just really awful to him, like, ten minutes ago. I found, your, I found your tagline. It was, there once was a lad named jack whose tendency was to attack with surgical skill he'd go for the kill and apparently he still has the knack
2: yes see i love that tagline
1: yeah it's great
3: yeah
2: but um yeah and i was like the the couple in the beginning i'm like look i know that she really wants to go across this bridge but it is the middle of the night and you're alone
3: yeah we better get to the hotel oh you said we could cross london bridge oh hey you read the gate sign the whole place shuts down at 10 everybody's supposed to be gone by 10 30 the bridge is closed besides i'm worried we won't be able to get a whole room this late I mean, we can walk across the bridge in the morning before we leave i want to cross it tonight when it's all dark and empty and mysterious looking
2: i mean uh, there's nobody around i mean i, I just i don't, can't imagine wanting to go across this bridge that badly <laughs> You have no sense of adventure. Uh, well, I'm, yeah, I know, but, but I'm alive. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> that's the difference. <laughs> like, um, well, like the reporter later, after there's been a murder, she's going to go and show up alone. You know, she got her little recorder here and, and is uh, doing her story. And I'm like, you're going to be the next story. Like, you're totally going to get killed <laughs> being around this bridge where Jack the Ripper is going to hang out. Because, like you said, the, you know, the the girl in the beginning, like, dropped blood on that stone. And, you know, before I watched this movie, I didn't know a whole lot about it. So I somehow had it in my mind that this was a whodunit, and I was completely wrong. Um, Because when he first popped up, I'm like, okay, this is a supernatural kind of horror. Um, So, you know, and and like I said, I I did have fun with it. I'm not always the biggest fan of, um, you know, like, um, I would say horror movies that kind of center around, uh, police like mm, investigation. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, that's right. Police
2: procedurals. It's not that I dislike it. It's just, it's not my go-to. Whereas if like for this double feature, I would probably rewatch deadly lessons because to mm. me, it's the more slasherific of the two. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Tarek London is uh, bad because it's absolutely not. I mean, I love David Hasselhoff. I mean, like you said, it is the most unbelievably ridiculous premise, but he plays it totally straight. Mm-hmm. Like, it is the most realistic thing in the world. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's it's fun there. And um, I admit that Adrian Barbeau's fate might have surprised me a little, because I yeah. guess I wasn't expecting that.
1: Were you expecting those shoulder pads? <laughs> oh, well, I was
2: hoping for them, because that's one of my favorite things in 80s uh, fashion is big shoulder pads. She had them. Yeah. She, she rocked them. She rocked them really well, too. <laughs> she did. They were huge. Um I thought she was going to, like, fly away at one point. But, um, yeah, some of the, the killings are good. Um, it's definitely bloodier than yeah. Deadly Lessons. Um, not that it's, like... You know, it's it's definitely no Evil Dead or anything. But, I mean, for a TV movie, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's got a little bit of blood there. And um, like we were saying in Deadly Lessons, I mean, there's hardly any at all. I mean, if there is, it's a very small amount. So, um, yeah, I mean, that definitely was going for it as well. Um, and, of course, the title's fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, I did enjoy it. It's probably not my kind of rewatchable movie, I guess I should say. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, it's um, yeah, no, it's not one that I'd probably go back to often, but um, you know, I would definitely recommend it for a watch, especially anybody that loves like '80s horror. I mean, it just it fits right in. Mm.
1: Yeah, it does. It, it's got it's such an interesting film because so you guys are talking about the woman at the beginning who walks across the bridge, and there's this great camera shot, like it's so beautifully made, you know, and so like she's walking, and I can't remember the exact scene now, but it, like it starts panning. And then and then she gets to the bridge, and then there's this really great overhead shot of the bridge in her, and she's dwarfed by the bridge.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, it really builds up all the suspense to it. And, um, and I can't figure out, like, so I saw this movie on the big screen when I was still living in LA because they oh, had wow. a clue Golger tribute. Mm-hmm. And they showed this in Hunter's Blood. And I for the life of me, I can't remember what the other film they showed. Uh, but this was the last film that they showed. They showed it at midnight. The girl who plays the reporter was there, Lindsay oh, wow. Bloom, and I got to meet her. And um, one of the actors from Hunter's Blood, she's married to him, and he was there, and I got to meet him. And um, Billy Drago was there. Oh, it was Nightmare on Elm Street Two was the first film, and Robert Russler came, and um, and that was really great. But like, it on the big screen, it's it's so beautiful and. I'm wondering if they made it for a European market Mm. and then sold it to TV because it kind of feels like it's got a more of a cinematic feel to it than a lot of TV movies.
0: The the opening scene in particular, like where they're chasing the Ripper around is a feels very uh, it's it's much more cinematic than, say, the opening scene of the movie The Ripper. Which came out on video yeah. the next year with Tom Savini, <laughs> yeah. which has its yeah. charms also, but uh, but it does have like especially that moment when the Ripper first appears and he's like in all the smoke and he raises his arms yeah. in the air and then you see the woman there with her big eighties hair screaming and you're like yeah this is this is a good time
1: yeah it's really it's just really well made and um and like I said it's so interestingly like you guys have talked about it's very straight faced and and it's it's like when William F Nolan wrote this he must have known it sounded insane but he took it very seriously and then EW Swackhammer, the director just ran with it and it it just has this feel to it that I, it's not like any other film I think I've seen from this era
0: yeah i think i would agree with that yeah that's it's it's definitely it's at its best moments i i i love i love the scenes in that that sort of chamber of horrors place that yeah. they have there that's a really a lot of wonderful moments and, and a lot of yelling. I was going to – may I bring I, – I need to bring this up because I'm going to forget it because you mentioned the reporter. Okay. I wanted yeah, to yeah. mention th- – this was just something I, I thought of because um, the very first regular episode of Colchak back in the mid-70s, is The Ripper, where Kolchak is going after yes. someone who they first think is pretending to be The Ripper, but it's actually The Ripper having lived, you know, like um, scorzani the Vampire Night Stalker for ages, and so he has to go after the real Ripper. But there's like in in London Bridge, here, there there's a scene where um so so Gregory has his ideas about what's going on, and he you see him pull up he, pull up into like a, a spot, walk towards a building, and all of a sudden the reporter steps out.
1: Detective Gregory. Hi. I'm Elaine Gardner from the San Francisco Dispatch. Hi. I've been waiting here to talk with you.
3: How'd you get my address?
1: From Detective Nez. I told him I needed to speak to you after you got off from work. What about the Williamson murder? I'm looking for personal angles. And since you're the officer in charge of the investigation...
3: Weren't you at the bridge dedication yesterday?
1: <laughs> That's what originally brought me down here to have a The bridge story. But for this trip, I'm ending up with a much better one. Can we talk inside? I'd really appreciate getting your views on this case.
3: As long as what I say is off the record. I don't want to be quoted. Read? Agreed.
1: Agreed. Now can we go inside?
0: And right there I thought, what are you doing giving out your fellow detective's home now? Yeah, absolutely. That seemed really weird. And then uh, I tell you what I think off the record. Okay, off the record. Then it immediately cuts to, Gregory, get in here! And it's like the interview published. (laughs) And it's weird because he's walking with his partner and kind of looking at his partner like, why'd you you do that? And uh, Chief wants to speak to you about that article. And he shows him the article. He's like, "Oh no, that was supposed to be off the record." And then his partner's kind of like, "Well, get in there." And I thought, you know, I'd, I'd punch, I'd give the partner a little punch or a knee to the groin at that point because he <laughs> should be. And then he gets tell that And the and the thing, the thing I found interesting about that scene is like, like Kolchak. There's a scene in one of the Kolchak episodes, or maybe it's one of the movies, where he like talks to a cop or someone, and and he says this will be off the record, but then he ends up publishing it anyways, and. In the show about the reporter, Vincenzo, his boss, goes to Kolchak, the reporter, and says, you told him this was going to be off the record. He was very angry. He spoke to his chief. The chief came to me and yelled at me, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Whereas in a show about a cop, the reporter does that and there's no sign that the reporter is going to be in any trouble. And it's the same story. You said this was going to be – you told her this would be off the record. She didn't leave it off the record. You're in trouble. And I I like the way how it's the exact same thing from different sides. But in one show, you yell at the reporter and another show, you yell at the cop, even though you should probably be yelling at the reporter. And I kind of like that there's never a sign like, hey, chief, can we maybe go to the reporter who lied to me? and went to my home and talked to her instead yeah. of you yelling at me. <laughs> I just found it you know, interesting. And like, It depends on what kind of show you're in. depends on where the, sort of the blame will go.
1: Well, it's kind of interesting that you uh, brought up uh, The Night Stalker because I guess a lot of people who know the name William F. Nolan know that he was associated heavily with people like Dan Curtis and Richard mm-hmm. Matheson and the people behind that. As a matter of fact, he did the adaptation or he, of the Norlis tapes.
0: Mm-hmm. And now it's starting
1: to make, it's starting to make more sense to me. kolchak Well, yeah, he definitely like writes these really outrageous stories in very serious ways because The Norless Tapes is way more serious than Kolchak, you know what I mean? And that's why I like it, but it's different too. It's more moody. It's, it's a little bit of a different film. It's more, it's more, the ambiance is different. Mm -hmm. That's the only way I can think to describe it. But, but it's kind of interesting now that I think about it, that, um, that he's kind of just sort of recreating the work he was doing mm-hmm. back then, and that Dan Curtis and Richard Matheson were doing in the seventies, and kind of just putting it in nineteen eighty-five with shoulder pads.
0: Yes, exactly, with the stars at the time and the and the and the fashion. Yeah,
1: the it's almost like he's remaking yeah. that episode of Kolchak. So it's yeah. interesting that you brought that up. All the pieces are coming together.
0: Oh my gosh, Dan. I like it. I like it. And, and... it's making sense. <laughs> yeah, and I would have. I would have really just like I. I, I couldn't. I couldn't take his partner seriously for the rest of the movie then. I just want, like when they're boxing and he he gives them a hit. I thought, good, good, well done. But it's
1: Randolph Mantu. True,
0: this is true. I, I, I love the moment where they're going into the motel room of the one British guy.
1: That you think should have been played by Christopher Lee.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the way they go into the room is the partner kicks the door open and does the full on like FBI sort of, yes. you see the gun and he leans in, he's got the gun. He's over here. He's over there. He's over there. He steps inside. Gun here, gun here. And then David Hasselhoff without a gun pull just strolls in behind him and starts looking around. <laughs> I thought, I guess we got different ways we enter a room, right?
1: <laughs> That's right. I never noticed that. That's really funny. I love the two British guys too, because mm. the I don't, I didn't write down their names, Um
0: but I just wrote H. G. Wells and Jack the Ripper. I just think of time after
3: time.
1: Yeah, he's so great, that really weird uptight yeah. red herring guy. Every time I saw him, I thought, I know they approach Christopher Lee. I know that they approach Christopher Lee for that role because he looks like him. yeah. But he's also playing like a kind of an over-the-top parody in a way of him Mm -hmm. without being like a parody. I don't know how else to explain that character. It's probably the closest thing to being over-top in the film. I would
0: say so. And there is that weird moment when they're in the um, Chamber of Horrors and he reaches to touch one of like the wax things there. And Adrian Barbo says, "No, don't you're not allowed. Don't touch anything. You're not allowed to touch anything." And when the camera kind of pulls back, there's a huge sign that says, "Please do not touch." <laughs> and like, I, I guess it's written in American. That's why he couldn't read <laughs> it. But I thought that's that's weird. Obviously,
3: you're from England, right? Yes, from the London area. Uh. I left rather abruptly. Things are quite new to me here. And what about you? Do you live here in Lake Havasu? Mm-hmm. I'm the head librarian. I suppose you could say I've lived most of my life inside of books.
0: Are you by chance a student of scripture?
3: Oh, no. Not really. I'm not very religious.
0: But you believe in punishment for breaking the
3: law. Oh, well, yes, but uh, well, I was only joking back then about Newgate prison. Why, oh, you didn't think I was serious, did you? punishment is always a serious matter, and those who transgress must be dealt with. Uh, Ah, I've really enjoyed talking to you, but I I should probably get back. I I have to buy my mother a birthday present. You must listen to what I'm telling you. No, I, I
1: must get back.
3: You can't go. I won't allow it.
1: That conversation he has with her is so eerie because it's true, yeah. she's Adrian Barbeau's character is really interesting because she's kind of man hungry, and she's a good friend to Stephanie Kramer. And you think that they're both going to go after Dawn. but she backs off. She's like, okay, he's interested in Stephanie. I'm just going to be here for the support. But she's she meets the Jack the Ripper. And he's very charming, and she doesn't realize who he is, obviously. And they make plans for a future date at some point. And then she meets this other British guy, and they're there, and she's talking to him, and he's asking her questions about punishment.
3: <laughs>
1: and it's such a weird conversation. Yeah. And it's it's like, it's clear he's not going to be Jack the Ripper because he's so obviously off his rocker. Yes. You know. But th- that's like a really weird scene. And she kind of game at first, you know? And I think it works for the character because she has kind of established herself as this woman who's out to meet men. And so mm-hmm. she's kind of playing along to see where it goes. But then it, at some point, it crosses a line. Yeah. And yeah. you can tell she's like, okay, this guy is definitely sending up all the red flags.
0: Yes. And she kind of gets saved by Jack the Ripper, which is too bad.
1: Uh, ironically enough, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But she's so great in this movie. She's a lot of fun. And matter of fact, I really like the scene of her at the library mm-hmm. with Stephanie Kramer's character.
3: Yeah. Having
1: I mean, that conversation about dating and stuff. And it's a, they have a really nice rapport. It's really well done. And it made me think of when she was in Someone's Watching Me mm-hmm. and she was Lauren Hutton's friend. She's really yeah. good as the friend.
3: Yeah, she is. She you is know? Very good I mean, she should
1: be the star of everything. The friend she, of the DJ.
0: I'll yeah, take, I'll she's
1: so care. good in like these supporting character roles. I really like her, to, like uh, the way she is with other women. In mm-hmm. movies, it's always really nice. So I really like that aspect of it. And Rosemary showing up was just I don't understand. Yeah. It. But I like it. I mean I like her. <laughs> yeah. But it's such a weird casting choice.
0: Mm-hmm. And just, they just the those little weird moments too where it's like, um, uh, so is is he in the motel room? No, no, he no, no, he left a few hours ago. Oh, okay, um, can we get the key? Oh, I'll take you there. It's not too <laughs> it's far It's just right down here. It's just right, it's just, and they just walk out the door, and the camera just sits inside the office as they go away. And It's like, how far away is it? It doesn't look like it They'd be that far away. It's just, just a strange thing to, like, she's so interested or maybe so bored that she's like, oh, yeah, maybe yeah. it's Jack the Ripper. I'll join you.
1: And it's so funny because there's another older woman that's, I think, working at a hotel at the beginning.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. And I
1: kept thinking, this is going to be Rosemary. Wait, is Rosemary in this? <laughs> because there's... I thought this was her, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, did they do a European cut and they couldn't get her? You know oh, what yeah. I mean? That, that they placed her with
0: the, yeah, the, uh, the Welsh Rosemary or something yeah. like that.
1: <laughs> Very famous in, in Wales and, uh, <laughs> and, and the Isle of Man. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so it's just this quirky little movie and, and it's got these really interesting moments. We were talking about the friendship with um the two women, but I also mm-hmm. like the scene where David Hasselhoff tells, Stephanie Kramer's character, why he ended up in this town. And he talks about, mm-hmm. he tells the story about shooting the kid.
3: This kid was robbing a liquor store. It was a night job. We got the call first. My partner took the street door and I went around back. That's when the kid came out uh, right at me. He had a sack of money and what it, sack of money in one hand.
1: And what I thought was a gun in the other.
3: You couldn't be sure. No, it was dark really hard, one of those damn blinding Chicago thunderstorms. Anyway, when the kid came at me, I saw something flash in his right hand. So I fired, and I hit him in the chest, and he died later that night in the hospital and he didn't have a gun with a can opener
1: like the monologue he gives it's so good that's i'm like i'm i'm so the thing about this movie is it's i'm just it's such a curiosity Mm
3: -hmm. that
1: i think that's what keeps me coming back to it because i can't figure out like what it was like when they were doing rehearsals like (laughs) the first table read Mm -hmm. and swackhamer shows up you know and he's like guys we are very serious about this movie (laughs) so your motivation is that jack the ripper is alive And you have to prove he is. You know what I mean? And it's like, and you can feel like all this like nuance coming out of the actors. And it's really interesting. I just, I can't figure out like how they decided on this approach. I appreciate it. I think it makes the film kind of enduring. Mm-hmm. But uh, but at the same time I don't understand how they decided to do it this way.
0: And there is there is kind of a fun thing with uh, with Don when he delivers his exponential scene as the movie's as the movie goes along, like first time he's with ANG and he's explaining his his theory about the dates and everything and I think this is a Jack the Ripper Rip-off guy. Um, he's he, he sounds like you know a detective who's really into it. But then later on when he's like, I think this is Jack the Ripper, he has a bit of a tone in his voice like, This is gonna sound a little nuts. <laughs> Be prepared. Like, like even even maybe as he's saying it, he's thinking, Am I gonna think this is nuts? as I say it out loud? But that's where he gets the good coffee at two in the morning. So that's that's pretty good. He's running on coffee.
3: hmm
1: He oh, didn't even need- know what he was saying, it was just a coffee. <laughs>
0: It's got a lot of strange moments, including that that great moment with the um, where he's talking like the pathologist or whatever, and she says something like, uh, "Well, the um, the uh, the uh, thread was from the 1880s, and and the blood I can't give you um, I can't tell you when the blood is from. Uh, I don't make things up. That's your job." Or she says something like that. <laughs> it's like where'd that come from?
1: I love that. I actually like the that we she doesn't get killed but you think she's going to.
0: Yes, it looks like it for that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's a really good scene and then he just takes her home and it's got some suspenseful moments, you know, and it's yes. it's I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just really beautifully made yeah. and it's and it's curious. And mm-hmm. and it's like I'm really glad that it's lasted over the years. It's I don't think it has had a DVD release. I could be wrong about that, but it has had a VHS release and it streams everywhere.
0: Yes, like, yes, and other yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Whoever has the rights to it, I mean, they just have given it out, and um, and yeah. I'm really pleased because <laughs> so, because it's such an interesting film, and it, it's so unique from the made for TV movie that I don't know how people feel about it when they watch it. Like I don't know if it's a gateway or if it's turn off. Mm-hmm. Mm, because yeah. it is so different, but um, yeah. but it's worthwhile for me. I don't know. It's very comfortable too. Like there's something about it that's just really like, have a cup of tea and just watch the insanity.
0: Yeah. What um, what do you think of the song that plays "Just a Modern Man" when they're when they're at the club oh, and they're dancing?
1: I love it, and I always makes think of the song "Modern Man" by. Four out of five doctors oh, yes, from House for, of yes, so for, yes, yeah. yeah, I love the I love the club scene because she's wearing that great kind of flash dancey dress. Yes, with like mm-hmm. the belt, and you really have to have a great figure to wear that, or you just look like a potato yeah. sack. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, one yeah. in ten women can wear that outfit, yes. and yeah. she does.
0: Appreciate that the the movie does, and one might. One might call it padding. I do appreciate that it does like when they take their date, they they have time and they stop and they dance and they talk and they flirt. And, you know, there's 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 a feeling that a relationship is being developed rather than just um uh, just, just 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 that we're just passing time.
1: Sure. it is though because like it starts where he's kind of interested in her so he takes a boat ride where she because she mm-hmm. she does fishing expeditions for money and stuff and then she tells him her husband died and he told her him a little bit about himself and and it does slowly build and i like that so this is where i think tarot london bridge gets it right where deadly lessons doesn't we we have a, a pretty big cast here but everybody's distinctive and years. they do spend time, at least, with the main people, so you have a general feel of the type of people that they are,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and you are feel like sort of invested in them.
0: And the, and there there are a few minutes like when they're in the club and they're dancing, and just a modern man is playing, where I sort of forgot where we were,
3: yeah. and I was
0: just enjoying watching them together. Whereas Deadly Lessons, I was always sort of watching it, thinking, okay, can we keep keep it moving, keep it going. let's give me something. Whereas here, it, it it's able to make you forget. That, you know, Jack the Ripper has been reincarnated from a stone in London Bridge and Lake Havasu and is killing people.
1: So you mean like in Shark Attack 2 after that girl's best friend dies? Yes. And then they make this big plan to go, because somehow there's like this school of sharks living in the caverns. And they're like, we can't go till later tonight. Let's go on a date. And then mm-hmm. it, after all these people have been murdered by these sharks and then they just show them walking around town?
3: Yeah, and then exactly. and then
1: having sex where there's candles everywhere, and you knew it was taking them twelve hours just to light all the candles.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it's just
1: like that. Yeah, no, it, it has really good characters. I mean, they take time with the story, and um, I don't know. It's just it's it, it had it had a different premise. It could be a very good drama.
3: Mm, you mm-hmm. know,
1: with these characters, like it, it's established if them it, in like kind of a real world. If
0: it was more of a whodunit. Yeah, kinda,
1: and I think yeah. that helps the film, too. I think if you're going to have a premise this crazy, either you, you make it a crazy film or you approach it like that with, like, a very serious, you know, mm-hmm. th- th- they build a universe that feels plausible as you're watching the film, which is really important to me. Um, but, yeah, I think this is a great film. And, again, talking about Deadly Lessons had a great cast. This has a really good cast. I mean, we just mentioned Lane Smith briefly, but he plays, you know, the kind of Murray Hamilton character, um, mm. the mayor in Jaws. And-
0: I like how he's the city council For some reason, it's not the mayor. He's just a guy on the council. It's like, really? The chief of police doesn't rate higher than some guy on the city council? Like, really? Like, you know, who's, you know, who, who like, running, is having meetings for the PTA, that guy rates higher than the guy who runs the police force in the town?
1: I just kept thinking, after the scarecrow attacked him, you think he'd take this stuff more seriously.
3: Exactly
1: so he's got some I don't know what's going on with Lane Smith. he's great I just love him so much I'll watch him in anything and so and he's great in this and Ken Swafford's also in it and oh
0: yes always yeah. I always like to see him yeah
1: he's great like just yeah. it's just got this amazing cast and um and it's just it's kind of a heartfelt horror film in a way I don't know he's just got there's something it's about true. it and so I can't even put it into words
0: trying to make the characters sort of as human as they can in the superbly absurd yeah. <laughs> premise uh, is, and it actually mostly works, I think. I think it 80% works. That 20% is mostly Kluge or yelling. <gasps> I love him. I love him. I just think it's over, the, it's too much.
1: <laughs> I don't know, Dan. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to have a talk about that. So, anyway, yeah, this is another one of those movies. I said this on the last episode we did with the Money Marker movies where sometimes the movies i mean for me it's so good it's hard for me to talk about it it's easier Mm -hmm. for me to talk about movies that i feel are more flawed but i just i like this i wouldn't change anything about it i mean i know you would change kluke Gulliger's approach maybe but (laughs) but like i there's the more i watch this movie the more i just want to sit and watch it again i don't know there's just something really it's like the murder she wrote of like 80s Mm. horror tv horror movies it's just got this great kind of comfortable Feeling to it with like all these wonderful actors that everybody would recognize and everybody already loves, and um and it and it's just this insane little movie. I just I love it. So I give it a thumbs up. What do you guys think?
2: I would agree. I give it a thumbs up. I mean, like I said, I preferred uh, Deadly Lessons, but I would still give this one a thumbs up if nothing else for the unbelievably
0: ridiculous premise.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you have to see it to believe it, right?
0: Yeah. I suppose you could do like an evening of really odd Jack the... I mean, like, time after time with the time machine.
1: The Fantasy Island where he goes through a portal yes. after that Linda Day George opens up and he's Jack's, stalking Jack's people back, on Fantasy yeah. Island. Jack's back is so yes. sure good. Jack's back is so and,
0: good. And, and even the super cheap The Ripper from the folks who made Blood yep. Cult, you know, about a guy who has... Is it Jack the Ripper's ring or something like that? And it makes him into Jack the Ripper yes, right. until the end when it makes him into Tom Savini. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Was similarities there? I won't go into. Yes,
0: and isn't isn't there around like in the eighties? Isn't isn't there like a Jack mini miniseries or something with like Michael Caine? There was. Or, it was
1: really oh, good. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it since it aired, but I loved it.
0: That's yeah. That's sort of the, the one of those. Yeah, the character. I mean, I probably probably when I think of Jack the Jack Ripper, my favorite is probably um, Murder by Decree. The uh, fantastic. The Bob Clark Sherlock Holmes movie.
3: Is that the
1: Charlton Heston?
0: No, it's. Um, Who's in it? Um, it's James Mason and Christopher Plummer.
1: Christopher Plummer. I don't know where I'm getting... And
0: Christopher Lee is in it. And it's, it's uh, a really incredible Donald Sutherland, Genevieve Bujol. It's a hell of a cast.
1: The 80s were obsessed with Jack the Ripper. So this movie is interesting because it's, it's interesting that they made it in 1985 because they only had three years to go to hit the 100th anniversary mm. of the murders. And that's when Jack's Back came out. That came out in 1988. And it was know. exactly... 100 years and it was kind of a celebration of that that sort of word and um and so this movie's just shy of like hitting that
0: well it was so good they had to do it they're not going to wait three years
1: well those shoulder pads wouldn't have lasted for three yeah,
0: that's years true. it would have gone it would have gone stale
1: but yeah but the late 80s that would have been like um no
0: would not gonna happen. And and they also would have had it would have been like a poison song or something they were hearing. Oh at god, the, yeah, that would be good Instead of just though. the modern man, yeah, it would have been maybe something
1: fun. I don't know if anybody here is familiar with Burke's Law, the remake. Oh,
3: oh no. You know they
1: redid it in the '90s with um, what's his name, uh, Peter Barton from Friday the 13th Part Four, and oh. um, and the original Burke, um, Gene Barry, mm-hmm. and in the I think in the first episode they go to they're investigating a, some murder and they end up on a music video set. And Brett Michaels is making a music video and Gene Barry just accidentally ends up in the middle of the video while they're shooting what? it. He has to dance. Yes, that happened. It happened. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so if you're into Burkslaw, I highly recommend that. His whole his whole shtick is that like he's like Okay, I pulled some evidence. I think this person's a killer. I'm going to go confront them. They're like, I'm not the killer, but I heard so-and-so did this. Oh, okay, I'll go see him. And he's like, you're the killer. And then that person goes, I'm not the killer, but I heard so-and-so did this. Okay, I'll go talk to them. You're the killer. And he literally does that. That's how he solves his crimes. And then eventually he's accused everybody.
3: <laughs> and it turns and out some- to be him.
1: Yeah, and then somebody slips up and then he figures it out. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. So I'm glad we liked this double feature. I thought it was really fun. I think it's a good Halloween double if people are looking for some TV movies to watch that are maybe a little different than the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that these would be a, kind of an interesting double feature. I, th- I found yeah. it really interesting to think about them together um, and how they're different and maybe a little bit the same. Um, and I'll just go through some background and then we'll do our feedback and then we'll have made it through mm-hmm. our Excellent. first episode in months.
3: Yay.
1: Okay. Let me tell you a little bit about Tara at London Bridge, which I mentioned was also known as bridge across time. Um, it was also released as the Arizona Ripper which uh, is a title that may be attached to some syndicated airing starting in 1986. It originally aired on November 22nd, 1985 on NBC. Reran again in August of 86. On its original run, it ran against on CBS, Twilight Zone, and Dallas, on ABC, it ran against Webster, Mr. Belvedere, and the American Video Awards. The TZ episode had, uh, oh, Twilight Zone, sorry, I oh, wrote TZ. The Twilight Zone episode had segments directed by uh, both Peter Medak, who of course did The Changeling, and Paul Lynch, who did Prom Night. And the Paul Lynch entry was adapted from a story by Charles Beaumont, who you know wrote for the original Twilight Zone, so that's pretty cool. It didn't do great in the ratings. It got a 13.7 21, and it beat out the American Music Awards, but still only ranked as Forty-first among uh, the TV shows to air that week. And it actually aired in a really interesting time slot. Normally TV movies at this point were airing between 9 and 11, but I think this one aired between 8 and 10 so that they could uh, air at Miami Vice afterwards, and which was huge at the time. And Miami Vice uh, actually hit their highest rating of all their episodes at this point the night that this aired. Yet they, they still didn't bring in enough to bring viewers before that episode. It would end up ranking uh, number 167 out of 245 made-for-tv movies to air in the 1985-86 season. As I mentioned, it was written by William F. Nolan and directed by E.W. Swackhamer. So I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. So E.W. Swackhamer is predominantly an episodic director. Uh, he directed a number of successful pilots. As a matter of fact, he's known mostly for directing pilots that do really well. He did the LA Law pilot, Eight is Enough, and Quincy. He also directed the pilot for Spider-Man from the 70s, which starred Nicholas Hammond. Um, He began his career as a stage manager in New York and was the manager of the original Broadway production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. He made the move over to directing in 1963 and uh, mostly became known for his work on sitcoms. He did episodes of Bewitched, The Donna Reed Show, so he got a Donna Reed connection, and I Dream of Jeannie. He directed, though, a number of made for TV movies, including the movie Vampire with Richard Lynch, which we need to cover on here. It's a great film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, The Death of Ocean View Park with Diana Canova, where the crew captured the actual demolition of Ocean View Park and built a film around it. And he directed the USA original thriller, Are You Lonesome Tonight, with Parker Stevenson. And that's a movie that I really love. Eventually we'll get to that, I think. William F. Nolan, of course, is a bit of a legend in both the world of film and literature. Alongside his writing partner, George Clayton Johnson, the duo wrote uh, Logan's Run, which was published in 1967. Uh, But he also wrote biographies, he wrote poems, he worked as an editor on different anthology collections... But of his TV work, I think he's probably best known for writing the classic made-for-TV movies The Norless Tapes and Melvin Purvis' G-Man. He also wrote the first two stories for Trilogy of Terror, and then he got to write the Zuni follow-up in Trilogy, Trilogy of Terror 2, which came out in the early 90s, again, a USA original. Um, and he also wrote, of course, Burnt Offerings with uh, Karen Black and Oliver Reed, which is an amazing theatrical yeah. film. David Hasselhoff's first TV movie was uh, *Pleasure Cove* in 1979. Then he made a movie called *The Cartier Affair* with Joan Collins in 1984, which I highly recommend. It's a comedy where Joan Collins kind of plays herself but spoofs herself, and it's like a heist film. It's a lot of fun. Um, And those were his first forays into the world of made-for-TV movies um, until he did this film. But of course, he's best known for *Knight Rider* and *Baywatch* and *Baywatch Nights*. Um, this was Stephanie Kramer's first made-for-TV movie, but in the 1990s, she would, after Hunter ended and everything, she would move over into TV movies pretty heavily in the 90s. She did movies like Coins in the Fountain, Beyond Suspicion, Abducted, A Father's Love, and something called Thrill, which is about, I think, a roller coaster that goes crazy. She had just landed her, uh, role on Hunter as Sergeant McCall the year before she made this film, but she had already been in a ton of stuff. I remember her best as being an early love interest for Gonzo on Trapper John. She was on stuff like Vegas, Dynasty, and Knott's Landing. I'm pretty sure I remember her in the pilot for Dynasty. Uh, I'm not sure, though, but I think that's where I remember her. Um, So Adrienne Barbeau was actually coming out of a short acting hiatus. So she had her son with John Carpenter, um, and then she just spent a couple years with the kid and being married, and then she came back appearing in um, an episode of Twilight Zone, an episode of Murder, She Wrote, which I think was a woman in prison episode, and this TV movie, among other projects. So uh, at the time, Barbeau didn't wanna make a full commitment to a TV series, uh, but said she'd be interested in something that was ensemble oriented. I think that's cause she wanted to spend more time at home. of working in TV movies, Barbeau said, quote, You have much less time in television and have to do things in one take, but I've done so many TV films that I really don't mind the speed, end quote. Barbeau's small screen debut was actually in a TV movie. It was The Great Houdini, which starred Paul Michael Glazer, and that's a movie I loved. I watched it all the time when I was a kid. It's really good. Randolph Mantooth got his start on General Hospital, but appeared in a few soaps, including uh, Loving, The City, When Life to Live, and As the World Turns, but of course he's probably best known for Emergency, for playing the great Johnny Gage. Lane Smith uh, in 1985 appeared in this, and also V, so that's a big year for him. Lindsay Bloom, who plays the journalist, was actually, began her career as a beauty contestant. She was Miss Utah in 1969. I made just a minor note about the director of photography. I didn't do a bio on him, but uh, Gil Hub shot this movie. It's amazing. I think the camera work in this movie is amazing. He made a ton of TV movies. He directed, or not directed, he was the director of photography on Twirl, The Last Ninja. Oh, wait, that might be theatrical. I think I mixed all the theatricals up with the um, TV movies. He did Jealousy, which is this really weird N.G. Dickinson anthology film. He did a movie called Starcross with James Spader. That's a sci-fi film. He did Children of the Night, which I think might be a USA original, um, and a, many, many other movies. This was also a Freeze film. Charles Freeze was the executive producer, um, and he distributed this uh, package with 27 other films in 1986 for 85 different markets around the world. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why this movie has survived. Thank you, Charles Freeze. Um, Aside from Bridge Across Time, which was originally called, other telefilms in that package included Do You Remember Love and The Martian Chronicles, which I have on VHS, and that's a great film. If you were watching this movie on the night it aired and you lived in Escondido, California, you could have watched Born Innocent directly afterwards. Could you imagine? Oh, so we had already talked about this, but some Jack the Ripper on TV was Colchak the Night Stalker. Vegas episode called Ghost of the Ripper, which I don't remember. There's a Fantasy Island episode with Affection, Jack the Ripper. Friday the 13th did an episode called Dr. Jack. And then there was the miniseries, which we mentioned earlier with Michael Caine. Um, The reviews weren't exactly positive. Uh, (laughs) The Hartford Courant called it silly. The Billings Gazette called it a ripoff of time after time. Bob Michaels of the Palm Beach Post compared the small-town government bureaucracy to Jaws. Uh, Variety's review compared it to the Night Stalker. (laughs)
3: uh,
1: My favorite review headline says, Ripper story not on cutting edge of good TV drama. That was Jerry Coffey of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He didn't like it, but he wrote a mostly nice review saying he thought Kramer was charming and the premise was nifty. Um, And that is my background for Terror at London Bridge. So we somehow made it swiftly through these two films. Yeah. So while we have a few minutes, I just want to go through we got a little bit of feedback. Um only a little bit was of uh, the little bit of feedback we got is actually based on um the film stuff. So I'll start with that. So Kristen Haas on Yay. Facebook said, Yay, I've not seen Deadly Lessons, but a quick look at IMDb at the IMDB page, put it on my watch list. I adore Terror at London Bridge though. It might be kind of a ridiculous premise. But so is buying London Bridge a movie to Arizona and that actually happened. The movie does manage some genuinely tense moments, which I didn't expect when I first saw it. It's a regenerated Jack the Ripper in Arizona. I wasn't expecting much, but it's a good time, and much of that is due to the cast. Would this movie be as much fun without Clue Gulliger? Ooh, and Rosemary? Mm. Maybe, but I doubt it. (laughs) So you guys are going to have to fight over that. I forgot to mention, we didn't talk about The London Bridge actually was moved from London to Lake Havasu, which is this bizarre I don't even understand. So the fact that that even happened and that's Mm -hmm. real makes the premise more believable. Because if crazy stuff happens in real life, then it can happen in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, Leo Dean uh, contacted us by email. He said, "Hello, wonderful people. So excited (laughs) to watch these and listen to you guys discuss. I miss the show very much and appreciate all all you guys do. This is a great Halloween present. Love you guys and the show. Have a great Halloween season. Thank Thank you, Leo. Leo.
3: Thanks. How nice,
1: right?" And Billy Verdreen wrote, I don't have any great insight on these two films, but I will say I'm very happy to see you all return to the pod waves in time for the spooky season. Great. So thank you, Billy, for that. We really appreciate it. And I guess we can talk really quickly about what we're doing currently.
2: Mm. Um, before can... we do that, I just had one little final thought on Terror at London bridge. <laughs> I feel that there was something missing and I think I figured out what it might be about the ending. I think at the end London Bridge should have exploded and everybody would take off running and you would have David Hasselhoff going, everybody run. London Bridge is falling down.
0: Oh, perfect. That would have been amazing. Yeah. yeah. And
3: it then really as they were running,
0: the he'd run by cops and cops would be falling down, falling down. Yes. Oh, <laughs> see, it just, it writes itself. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: We can remake it.
2: That's a Nolan. I would. A but Nolan as, Johnson. Only if we can get David Hasselhoff
1: back. Yes. I think we can. I kind of He's in all the Sharknado movies. He'll do a Tarrant Lindenbridge remake. Yeah. I'm almost positive. I'll call him tomorrow. All right.
2: Yeah, let us know what he says.
1: Okay, I will. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'll just briefly... It's hard for me to remember everything because it's been so long since we've mm. uh, convened and talked about stuff. But I did a lot this year. I know what's available right now is at the end of october um my friend heidi honeycutt and i did a commentary for rolf kineski's there's nothing out there which nate's already done a commentary for for vinegar (laughs) syndrome so and a lot of people already have that it was fun yeah it's a great film this is coming out this this one this release is coming out through ronin flicks and they have some new stuff uh and i don't know if they imported any of the vinegar syndrome stuff but check it out uh i did some liner notes for messiah of evil which came out recently and I got to write a little bit about Anitra Ford, who plays the girl that gets killed at the Ralphs. Um, I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> and it was really great to write about her. And I also did an essay on Amish people for Witness. Um, and that was a really interesting um, project. And I've got some stuff that's going to be announced probably in November. Uh, I can't say what it is, except they're both very previously unavailable horror films. And I'm really excited about the release of both of them. And um, uh, that's all I can say and I did both those commentaries with Bill Ackerman and Dan and I recorded something that hasn't been announced yet for a mm. slasher that we're both pretty big fans of yes and so we're just waiting for some more information on that but uh, we've recorded it and turned it in I don't have a release date for it but when they announce it we will announce it mm. Um Nate, what have you guys been up to? Um,
2: Let's see. Um, uh, We recently did a commentary for Rabid Grannies, which I love oh, Rabid Grannies. Oh, yeah, so, it's a
1: great movie. I mean,
2: I was a big fan, but I don't know about the rest of the guys if they liked <laughs> it like I did, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that was fun. And, you know, I'm always up for doing commentary. So um, when the opportunity, for, uh, opportunity presents itself, I'll take it.
1: Good. Keep doing them. Mm-hmm. I think you guys also did Blade in the Dark. That got announced, right? Uh,
2: yes. Yes, we did a Blade in the Dark. Um, there's so many things that I know about that I don't know have been announced. Like, yeah. that you've done, Amanda, and I'm like, I don't want to say because I'm afraid I'm <laughs> overstepping. So I'm like, I'll just ask you about it
3: off.
1: Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, I know I can't keep track of everything because they tell you to turn something in and they give you this firm date and then like 10 months later, because they have to do other work that and it always gets prolonged, like the announcements. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm like, I can't, I don't even remember doing that. Like, I know I did that. But <laughs> I don't have any memory of it now, so I can't even remember what's been announced and what hasn't.
2: Yeah, it's that's my made. problem is I, I I know what I've done, but it's just sometimes you do a commentary and it's like a year before it gets released mm. and you can't talk about it.
1: Yeah, so it's it's kind of annoying because I want to tell people. Like yeah. well, like when I was working on that Emmanuel box set,
3: mm. oh my God,
1: <laughs> it was killing me because there's so much good stuff in it, you know? And it, and it's like, oh, I can't
3: say anything,
1: you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I want to so bad, I can't even hint at it. So um, it's hard. Uh, but so, and you guys are still doing your podcast and you're doing on your Patreon, you're doing commentaries just for the listeners, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and honestly, I kind of prefer those. They're, I guess the commentaries that we do for the discs, you know, they're, we, we try to do, you know, plenty of research and you, we try to, you know, keep it, I guess, you know, moving along as, as, you know, fluidly as possible, but the fan commentaries, I don't know. I feel kind of, they're a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. just kind of riffing, not, not really riffing on the movie, but, you know, just kind of enjoying it and watching it and remarking on things and, you know, I, I, uh, that's what I like to do. So, see, Amanda, you're the good researcher. I'm not a good mm-hmm. researcher.
1: Yeah, but I like the idea of just, like, sitting back and watching a movie and being more relaxed about it. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. so, in, like, intense when I do commentary. So, it would be nice to just, like, for fun. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And I know you're. I know the listeners really enjoy them, so that's what counts. Um Dan no
0: hey um the 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 things I've got coming up like that I, I can't actually talk about any of them there's the one thing I'm doing with you oh, there's another yeah. commentary I did and there's actually I'm working on um liner notes for something that hopefully Ooh. will be coming out I don't actually know when it will be coming out and I've just sort of started working on them uh for a uh, movie first I can't say more than that it's a movie and it'll be great. Um, but the uh, but also uh, uh, of course, the podcasts are going. To eventually, Super Train is, is cooking along. Uh, Amanda, you joined me throughout the year here talking about Lucan. Yeah. Yep. Who, who I who, you know we I think fondly of. Um, yes. And I just finished discussing uh, with my friend Christopher Bly. We just finished Galactic in 1980. I am talking about the show Monster Squad. And my friend Tim S. Turner and myself are doing yes. Max Headroom, the U.S. Max oh, Headroom. Oh,
2: fun. Which is fun. Uh, Tim's such a cool guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, Tim School. Yeah, we're having a we're having a good time uh, uh, doing Max. That was his choice. He wanted to do that. So I said, because I never watched it. I just knew Max Headroom mainly from uh, commercials for like Sprite or Coke or something like that. But it's it's a it's a fun show. And um, yeah, my my Happy Days podcast is cooking along with season seven. Um, I'm still working on my Doctor Who book, which is now I've written over eight hundred reviews for it. Oh my god! And I've got about um, thirty or forty left to go. So I'm I'm a uh, pretty pretty, pretty pretty deep into that, and um, oh and and I want to recommend a a Blu-ray set that I had nothing to do with, but it's the it's the new Shout Factory Irwin Allen set, that came out. Like, oh
1: yeah, you mentioned it that. It just
0: came out a few weeks ago. It's like the Master of Disaster set, and it's two theatrical films. When time ran out. Uh, I I love that one. Well, yeah, which Red is, Buttons. Yes, which is a volcano erupting in Hawaii. And then Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, which is basically Poseidon Adventure, but the next day. And um, But then it also has um, three TV movies of Irwin Allen's and two of his miniseries. So it has Flood, Fire, Caven, and it has mm. um, The Night the Bridge Fell Down. Yeah, yeah. And um, the wonderful Burt Convy starring Hanging by a Thread.
1: Ooh, I need to get and, that And and the
0: great thing is all the movies look great and the two theatricals also include the T V versions, which have like an extra Ooh. half hour footage each. So I recommend the set the the T V movies are fun, the miniseries are fun, the two features are theatricals are fun and with the extra stuff added. It's just it's just I got a real kick out of the set. It's a really good set.
1: Oh, that sounds amazing. I can't believe I haven't picked it up. I know you 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 mentioned it online mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, it,
0: it did I was like, it, it hasn't got like much uh publicity or anything i don't see a lot of reviews for it and it's like if you're if you're mm. a fan i mean those aren't like if you want his absolute best movies like those aren't the, or his absolute worst movie in the swarm these aren't them but they're so much fun anyways so
1: oh man people pick that yeah, but, up that sounds amazing
0: so that's that's what's going on i'm watching irwin allen films basically uh, that sounds good to that me sounds fine.
1: um so anyway, if anybody wants to drop us a line, we don't know what our next double is going to be. But I'm going to try really hard to keep this on track now. I'm feeling a little bit more inspired. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will mention I also have a side podcast called The Trapcast, mm-hmm. which is dedicated to Trapper John. And, and I actually have written several scripts now and I've recorded two episodes and I just released one. So And we're all also on a new server. So we're on two different servers. The Trapcast is its own thing now. It's on a separate feed so people don't have to deal with me talking about it. <laughs> And it actually has its own Instagram page, which I think is Trapcast Podcast or something like that. Um, And this is on a new server. That means we're available on Spotify, uh, iTunes. We're all over the place now. So hopefully we'll get some more listeners. Um, And if you're new or not and you want to talk to us, you can contact us on Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast or on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem show. You can follow us on Instagram at Made for TV Mayhem. And you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. And we will be back really soon. And thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. We really appreciate it.
0: Happy Halloween, everybody.